conversation has taken a turn for the worse. The ogre makes some grunts and giant. <coughs> Another two ogres step out from behind boulders. <coughs> the large ogre in front of you raises his great club. <coughs> Roll for initiative. Initiative? Oh, that means combat. How does that work? I wish I was more prepared. Well, brace yourselves, adventurers, because today on 5e Fundamentals, we will cover basic combat in Dungeons and Dragons. I'm Russell Kirkby, and this is 5e Fundamentals, a web series where we cover the most basic and essential rules of Dungeons and Dragons 5e. Today, we're going to cover initiative and your basic combat options, actions, movement, bonus actions. Then we're going to talk about reactions and some other special maneuvers at the end. As always, it's important to note that all the rules in D&D, in fact in any role-playing game, are based on a social contract and are almost always arbitrated by the Game Master. I personally am an advocate of using as few rules as possible until you need them. But until you know them all, just do your best and have fun. The rules are a tool, not a crutch. If you're the DM, adapt them as you see fit. I, for one, get the rules wrong all the time, and you should never feel bad about it. At the end of the day, it's about role-playing, having fun, and telling a great story. And if you enjoy this video, hit the big red button and subscribe, because every time you don't subscribe to this channel, a cute, cuddly baby owlbear dies at the hands of an evil cultist. Alright? Alright. Down to business. Now, before combat, the DM will generally call for an initiative role. This role determines who acts in what order during each round of combat. To work out your initiative, you just roll a d20 and add your dexterity modifier, which you'll find on your character sheet here. The DM is going to collect everyone's initiative roles and sort them out into a sequence. Basically, this is how you will know whose turn it is. Right, now we're going to break combat into three main sections. Things that you can do on your turn, things that you can do on other creatures' turns, and extra maneuvers. Depending on the circumstances, they can be combined or used separately. Firstly, remember that everything that happens in combat in D&D 5e happens during a turn, and a turn is considered to be around six seconds of story time. So if you ever need to figure out what can happen during someone's turn, keep in mind it has to happen in less than six seconds. You can move, you can take an action, and maybe, depending on the circumstances, you might get to take a bonus action. Remember, standard actions include the attack action and casting most spells. These are the most common things that you're likely to do during your action. Note that you can also pick up, sheath, or draw a weapon as a free action at the start or end of your turn. It costs no actions or movement, but you can only take one of these free actions in a turn. What you can't do is replace movement for an action or an action for a bonus action. They're not interchangeable. Believe it or not, this covers you taking an action. Officially, however, this usually means the attack action, casting most spells, ones with a casting time of one action, pushing or grappling an opponent, attempting to hide, intimidating an enemy. You get the idea, right? Movement. Unless you're restrained for some reason, you can generally move up to your character's speed, which is a number expressed in feet per turn. For most creatures, this is about 30 feet, or six squares. But depending on the DM, your movement might also include jumping a gap, running up a dragon spine, or rappelling down a castle wall, and might require some kind of ability check too, like athletics. Certain kinds of terrain can be considered difficult terrain, and that can, at the DM's discretion, halve your movement speed. 
Keep in mind that you can divide up your full amount of movement and use it in increments before and after your action and your bonus action. In this way, you might kill an enemy and then move to the door, for example, and then take the hide action. Or you might attack an enemy here and then move up to an ally to heal them. Just remember, when moving away from an enemy that is within five feet of you, try to take the disengage action. Otherwise, you will provoke an attack of opportunity, and those have been known to be fatal. Bonus actions. Bonus actions are a special action that can be specific to a class trait, racial feature, or feat, or ability, or more commonly a spell. Now, unless specified by the rules of the DM, you can use bonus actions at any time during your turn. But even if you have more than one bonus action available, because you're a super-duper multi-classing rogue cleric barbarian, you can only take one bonus action per turn. So what this means is that you cannot rage, then cast Grasping Vine, and then try and hide in the shadows. No. You can, however, move in as many increments as you like, take a standard action, use one bonus bonus action per turn. Remember, a turn is six seconds. So, for example, a rogue might run in, knock her bow, fire an arrow, and then try and hide behind the pillar. Take some time to familiarize yourself with all your spells and actions and bonus actions so that you feel comfortable knowing what your character is capable of doing during combat. I strongly suggest you try using online tools such as D&D Beyond, link below, because they will automatically produce a list of actions and bonus actions that you can use on your combat turn, making your life a lot easier. If you don't have access to those tools, ask your DM to help you out with your character and making a list of actions for you. When it's the enemy's turn, or even your companion's turn, you may find that you have abilities or spells on your character sheet that have the keyword reaction in their description. This means that you can only utilize this ability when it is not your turn. The classic example of a reaction in 5e is when a creature within melee range, that is to say 5 feet of you, moves away. This provokes a reaction called an attack of opportunity, which is a special free attack with a melee weapon against that creature. You only get one reaction per full round of combat, but as soon as your turn has been had, the reaction ability refreshes and you can use another reaction for the next round, even if you have not taken your turn yet. This gives a little more interaction to the battle and makes it really worthwhile to stay tuned into the combat even if it's not your turn. Extra maneuvers. One of the most useful maneuvers you can perform on your turn is to ready or hold an action. This maneuver is directly connected to a reaction. This means that on your turn you can move into a position and then hold your action, waiting for a trigger which you can specify to the DM. As soon as the door opens, I fire. Another example of holding an action might be when you have only got a melee weapon and your enemy is out of range during your turn. Okay, so the harpy is uh, 10 feet off the ground. I'm going to move up to my druid companion and hold my attack for when the harpy comes within melee range. In this case, the player is hoping that the harpy will attack them or their companion. Or maybe the druid will cast Thorn Whip to drag the harpy into range. In any case, the plan is that when the trigger condition is met, the player will be able to expend their reaction at that moment and unleash their melee attack. Remember that when you hold an action, you can only hold it for one full combat round. When it comes back to your turn in the initiative order, you can choose another action or continue to hold the previous one. There are some abilities that don't have a specific descriptor or keyword on how to use or activate them. For example, Divine Smite is a Paladin class feature which has its own set of conditions, specifying that you must hit a creature with a melee weapon in order to activate the spell. 
Thus, according to the rules as written, a paladin must wait to have a successful hit on an enemy target before declaring that they wish to discharge their Divine Smite, which would add damage to their standard weapon attack. So the main thing to remember if you are a new player, for initiative you roll a d20 plus your dex modifier, which is here. On your turn, you have an action, X amount of movement, which can be split up into various increments, and a possibility of a bonus action. And when it's not your turn, if conditions are met, you might get an opportunity to use up to one reaction per full combat round. If you're ever unsure, talk with your DM and find out in advance what options are available to your character. Discuss when you can or cannot use a specific ability so that it's clear. Keep in mind the DM may want to change how specific rules or conventions work, either to suit their game style or their campaign setting. I played a game once where cantrips were always bonus actions. Remember, the rules are a guide. They're there to help you tell stories and have fun. Every DM has the absolute authority to run their game however they want. Ideally, I suggest that you should know the rules before you break them, but if you're still learning the rules, then just make sure that you and your fellow players are having fun. As always, if you like this content, hit the big red button and subscribe. background what happened for us to get this going tonight but we're here hopefully everything's working you guys can hear us um all right so i'm just gonna get it started off <laughs> uh if you're just joining us uh we are the game podcast uh hosted by dungeon studios we go beyond live play and dive deep into every topic from session zeros to campaign heroes with lively debates, thoughtful analysis, and plenty of laughs, our weekly podcast is the perfect companion for any D&D &D fan. Uh, we stream live and interact with our chat on Facebook every Monday, almost every Monday, uh, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern, and it's about 2 p.m. New Zealand time. How are you doing tonight, Russell? I'm doing all right. I'm just doing, doing some, some pretend sign language so that we can look like politicians or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, but... but. 
I don't, I don't actually know any sign language, but um, I mean, I know a couple of signs, but they're probably not appropriate right now. <laughs> <clears throat> That's too funny. In any case, here we are. We're back and uh, welcome to the game. Welcome. Uh, I'm Russell and, and she's Giddies. Giddies. That's right. I know yeah. sometimes we forget and use real names, but yeah, I, I do like Giddies. Um, if you're just joining us again, I'm going to give a real quick recap. Giddies is the name of my BBEG in my homebrew campaign that we are just about to finish. And so when it came time to pick a name, for myself. Uh, my husband was like, yeah, why don't you go with Giddis? Because then she can live on forever. And I love that. Right. So she's going to. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. All so, right. Yeah. Roll, you want to start it off? Let's, let's, let's get going. Let's talk some shit. All yeah. right. Well, I mean, before we talk some shit, I guess we're going to do, I don't really, I don't have much for Retcon Rewind. Um, I think we've been a pretty solid podcast the last few times. So I, there's nothing I need to correct or anything I need to clarify from previous episodes. However, uh, if you've been following us, you will notice that Doc is not here with us again tonight. Um, I'm just going to keep pumping out excuses. Um, if you follow him on his Facebook, you might have noticed that he has been picked up by DC Comics and he's going to play Bane in the next uh, Batman movie. Yeah, right? that's pretty, right. Pretty yeah. sure that's it. So uh, that's why he's not here with us tonight. Uh, we'll see if he will join us next week, but... <laughs> We did decide to let him out of the dungeon for a little bit, and now he got picked up by DC Comics. That will teach me. I can't help myself. I'm fucking with my camera. Uh, you know, I kind of noticed. I wasn't looking at first. <laughs> I just can't help myself. It's just one of those things. It's there, and you just have to twiddle with it. And mm -hmm. I'm sorry. No, I'm no sorry. problem. I apologize in advance. Well, all right. So I'm sure um, our live viewers are entertained. I'm, they probably don't give a damn. They're probably not even watching if they're listening to us in their cars or something. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows what people do with the internet? Mm -hmm. Who knows? Anyway, we have things to talk about and stuff to do and all of that. So. Yes, stuff and things. All right. So I'm sure mm. you're looking at my notes and it's daunting. Um, <laughs> did you hear anything about... I'm, this is kind of an ongoing thing, actually, but... I guess right. there was recent news about the D&D lawsuit between TSR and Wizards. Do you know anything about this? Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, okay. if you've not, not been around for the last 30 years, TSR, um, tactical, what are they called? Tactical something? I, I don't know. remember. You know, I anyway, meant to look that up and I forgot. They. Yeah, I mean, what was it? Tactical something. I'm sure I could look it up right now. What does Yeah, anyway, I know the T is tactical mean oh well yeah. see this says total shareholder return that is completely wrong google doesn't know me all right anyway <laughs> that's all right in any case they were the people that uh you know when gary gygax created dungeons and dragons that was the name of the company that they formed um, right so um yeah the original company and as far as i know after he died his sons recently started up a new version of it or something and there may even be another version of it too yes. i'm sure Hey, Avery. You're about to tell us how that all works. <laughs> hey, Avery's back. Awesome. All right. So here's the thing. I'm pretty sure Doc touched on this like during one of my very first times joining the podcast. And Doc right. is the keeper of all lore like this. He knows every little bit of detail. Uh, so I wish he was here, but I'm going to try to cover this as comprehensively as I can without like boring us all to death. Um, right. So. 
if you don't know what's going on, there is a lawsuit between TSR and uh, Wizards of the Coast. However, I had to dig into the timeline. Actually, this is what I did first. I know that Doc loves the YouTube channel Dungeons and Discourse. If you have not checked right. it out, I didn't know anything about it until Doc started talking about it. And then I had to go check out Dungeons and Discourse. And she's yeah. just she's great. so entertaining. <laughs> so she's I, awesome. yeah. I thought if anybody's going to have information on this that I can take in in a short amount of time, it's going to be her. And I was not disappointed. And so she if you want this information in, in a much, uh, what's the word I'm going to say, a uh, smaller tidbit, because we're going to really break out break this right. out a bit um, so go check out her, yeah go check out her YouTube and she also provides a link that has like this whole timeline that I'm about to go through because this is what I had to do for it to make sense into my head what's going on with this lawsuit um, right. there's this whole timeline so let's just and just for clarity's sake uh, Dungeons and Discourse does this I'm gonna do this she uh, the various iterations of TSR, she calls TSR one, TSR two, number three, number four, however, because there's right. various entities that go by TSR, apparently. Okay, right. so gonna go through this. So 1974, 73, 74, it's debatable. I see different dates online. TSR is created. We're gonna call it TSR one, okay? Or they create D&D. And which which year was this? This is nineteen seventy three, seventy four. Seventy three, seventy four. Okay, so right. it's the first iteration of Dungeons and Dragons. Right. So then, uh, all is pretty much quiet until nineteen ninety seven, when TSR is bought by Wizards. I don't think they were even called Wizards of the Coast at the time. I think they were just called Wizards. I might be wrong. Right. But um, and then it's shortly, like twenty something, twenty three years or something of uninterrupted. Right. TSR. Right. right. So uh, then after <laughs> that, so that was 97, 99 Hasbro buys Wizards. So, you know, now it's a much bigger corporation. And right. we'll find out later that they let the TSR trademark expire. So somewhere in now, again, another big jump, November 2012, some guy named Jason Elliott registers the TSR name because the trade trademark expired. And right. so he picks it up and we're going to call that TSR2. So Jason Elliott, right. TSR2. Um, and he basically picks it up so that he can launch this like Gygax magazine. And uh, the uh, Gygax's sons, Luke and Ernie, are involved. But right. eventually they also let the trademark expire again, right? Again. Again. So I, I'm not sure what's happening here, but they're just not being on top of it. Uh, okay. 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 So in 2015, Gail, who I believe is Gygax's wife or was, at, I don't know at the time if they were married or not, but sued TSR too uh, because of the use of the name Gygax, which I find <laughs> funny because it's it's his sons, right? <laughs> I'm not sure how that works. What the... mm, okay. Right. And, and we don't know if there was any bad blood between the sons and the mom or anything like that. Right. I mean, I'm sure if I dug deeper, I mean, but I, this was already like a really huge timeline. So I was like, this is good enough, but I'm sure there's the details out there. Publicity. Um, <laughs> so then, okay. So Gail sues for, because of the name Gygax, what have you. Right. Uh, and then they're forced to close uh, their doors. And so then, Oh, this was not really part of this lawsuit. It might, it's kind of part of this lawsuit, but I guess the, their home 
got bought and turned into this dungeon hobby shop museum, which I'll get into huh. later. But that was in October 2020. Uh Okay, sorry. This is, oh, there's so much here, and I'm trying not to lose anybody. Um, okay, now this is where it gets really interesting. You can't see the visual, all of you folks, but in my notes, there is a bunch of this stuff that's now highlighted because everything I'm about to say happens in one month. Within a one-month time frame, the rest of this stuff happens. Wow. So okay. you're seeing it, right? Okay, so in <laughs> June, in yeah. June 2021, TSR3... Okay, so now this is the third iteration of TSR. They announce themselves. They just come out and say, we're a company, okay? And they claim to be the original TSR, that they're back, right. that they're under the leadership of Ernie, Gary's son, okay? And now involved, you're going to remember these names, Justin Lanasa and Steven Dinehart, okay? So three dudes create or just basically announce, we're TSR3. And uh, their flagship is this product called Giant Lands. Giant Lands, right. Right. And all of this, they announced it without even notifying the guy. Remember Jason Elliott, TSR2? He let that um, trademark expire. And right. instead of saying, hey, dude, you let it expire, we're going to pick it up, they just did it. Right. They just did it without just... saying anything. Okay. And I think also, it might, it might mention it here later, but I want to say that they did say, Hey Jason, if you want to be a part of this, you can at least, you know, you can pay us and we'll let you be a part of it. Like <laughs> I might be getting that wrong, but I'm pretty sure I remember hearing that somewhere. Okay, so uh TSR3 says, "We're a thing." And then they also say we're rebooting Star Frontiers, which is a game that Wizards currently owns and is currently selling on their website, okay? They registered the trademark and everything. So they TSR3 is selling or saying that they're going to reboot Star Frontiers, which Wizards is already doing. Um, right. Now, Ernie goes on a YouTube interview, and this interview goes wild because he starts say he starts uh, raging online. He starts uh, making little digs at new gamers at Wizards of the Coast and trans people, which is not oh. going to go over well in the community, wow. right? So yeah. then, uh, okay, so then it, it comes it comes out that, you know, TSR2, Jason Elliott, he forgot to renew that trademark. I'm sure he's kicking himself in the butt because he was like, ah, oh, you know, they just did this thing and he figured it out two days later. This is how they got away with it. Um, Cheeky so, fuckers. Right? <laughs> so, uh Let's see. Oh, gosh, I'm getting lost in all the things that happened. Um, oh, that's there it is. Yeah. This is at the point where they he's he realizes his mistake and they tell him, hey, for a fee, we'll let you use it, too. Like, right. <laughs> kind of a little right. kick, kick me while I'm down. OK, so right. now TSR three, the three dudes, they embark on this social media campaign where they're telling everyone uh, that if you don't like Gary Gygax, then like don't play D and D. They apparently called a trans person on Twitter disgusting. Um, they started uh, using the word woke. Like I, I don't even know how to explain it. It sounds almost like a slanderous thing the way that they use it. But they would thank woke people because sales are up, and then they would insult Luke Gygax and a whole bunch of stuff. And um, anyone who tried to question them, they just blocked. And in, or insulted. So right. not off to a good start. 
Right. Then uh, various companies that could have potentially been attached to the TSR name, they start distancing themselves, obviously, um, including Gen Con, which... I mean, that was created by Gygax, right? Um, TSR2, so the guy who did TSR2, Jason, he basically rebrands himself as Solarian Games and is like, peace out, I'm out. Um, right. And various other individuals, right? So TSR3, the three dudes, they respond yeah. about being banned by Gen Con. They, their response was saying, well, but we created it, so you can't ban us. Right. Like it'll just be we'll just create our own thing or something. Like they were they were so what's the word I'm thinking? Like just condescending and ugh, anyway. Okay, arrogant. so then arrogant. <laughs> that's the word I'm thinking of. So then <laughs> TSR3 starts um pushing back on Wizards of the Coast. They're accusing Wizards of mounting a coordinated assault on them. Um they, so they're trying to get everybody to like bandwagon with them to like whatever ban wizards i'm not sure uh but and you'll find out i think maybe it was like the next day after right. they go on this this media campaign saying wizards is they're bullying us right. the very next day they deactivate their twitter accounts because they received a cease and desist from wizards <laughs> so now we're okay. still remember i i have not even finished the highlighted area we're still in this one month time frame that all this it's is like happening. the middle of it isn't it this we're is just still in the middle, in the middle of it okay right so then uh okay so now this is funny after they get rid of their twitter accounts there's now right. a new twitter account run by a supposed new public relations officer named michael but Michael. there's no such person as Michael. <laughs> so they just created their own public relations officer to handle this. Um, well, that's a cheap way of doing it. I mean, right. admit it's kind of clever in its own way. So it literally prompts like this. I mean, you know, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Like uh, web warriors. I think there's a phrase for it where people, they just love to search this stuff out, like fact checked everything. So right. it prompts this whole online search for who's Michael because no one has heard of him. No one's seen him. Right. He doesn't exist. Right. Then. Stock TSR... photo kind of deal, I suppose. Yes. Okay. So now at this point, um, I believe Stephen Dinehart. So he's one of the three, Right. I believe he pulls, he starts pulling away from this TSR3. And this is where it gets kind of a little dicey because when you listen to the video from Dungeons and Discourse, she goes into from TSR3 to TSR4. But in the timeline, they go from TSR3 to TSR3.5. So bear with me. I'm going to okay. say TSR4. I feel like it's a little bit cleaner. So Steven, okay, yes. one of the three guys, starts kind of pulling away and he... He he um, registers a site. It's registered as Wonderfiled, but then I think very shortly he corrects it to Wonderfilled. So I think he just like on a whim misspelled it or something. He misspelled <laughs> his own website that he was creating, and then was like, "Whoops, I need to fix this," because he was also oh. trying to pull away. He was breaking up with them because of the politics. Right. So he right. misfiled his own site and then corrected it later. Um, so so. He uh, is no longer part of this TSR3. And now right. they're TSR4 without him. Yeah. Okay. So 
Uh, let's see. Oh, that's right. Okay, so the giant lance projects that I that I mentioned before. So Stephen, with his little wonder-filled, wonder-filed company, um, continues to feature <laughs> this giant giant lance project. Okay. I thought you said wonder defiled or something at first. <laughs> wonder defiled would be a great, yeah. He could have spelled it that way. Um, all right. So let's see. Okay. Okay. Yes. So now TSR4, which is Bernie and Justin Lanasa, TSR4, they start making claims that there was an unnamed individual running their Twitter accounts, that it wasn't them, it was someone else, and we yeah. would never do anything like that. So right. all those uh, previous social media posts and everything that you heard should just be invalid. Like, it didn't happen. Right. It's probably Michael. Probably, right? I mean, we still haven't heard about Michael again after this. Right. So that is all in one month span, just that, that month of drama. Okay, right. then things start to slow down a little bit, okay? So TSR4 announces their own con. They call it TSR Con. And it was supposed to be held on July 4th weekend in Lake Geneva, which is the same location that Gen Con launched, right? right. And uh, they basically were trying to make a dig at Gen Con and saying, like, TSR Con will always be here in Lake Geneva. But it never took place. <laughs> they never right. did TSR con. Oh dear. Yeah. So then, uh, let's see. I'm gonna. Yeah, that's that's. It's part of the timeline, but not important to this here. Okay. So then, Mike. This Michael. This this uh, PR person, Michael, announces right. that the Star Frontiers game that they uh, that you know Wizards is already doing it, but they're gonna do it too. They're gonna reboot it or something. Michael claims that the Star Frontiers game that they put out came out and then sold out before they could announce it. And that's why nobody can get it. Right. Wow. That's and clever. there was even a picture that went out on the Internet that was photoshopped to make it look like there's a stack of books. Like, you know, oh. when you have the 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 what are they, the cap ends at Barnes and Noble or something, it's just stacks right. of books like totally right. photoshopped. This is just oh. horrible. So then. Uh, what the hell is going on here? It's so wild, all of this. Um, okay, so now TSR Con. We were talking about that, right? They were going to like, <laughs> we're going to still have it in Lake Geneva. And they right. tried to move it from the July 4th weekend to the very same weekend that Gary Con was going on. Like they think we are big <laughs> enough to pull people away from Gary Con and right. you're going to come to TSR, right? right. Uh, so the venues Brilliant. moved, even though it didn't happen in Lake Geneva, they, the venues moved. And then, uh, oh, that's right. Because I think this was during the height of the, um, you know, people wearing masks, uh, the pandemic. So they had a graphic on their website that promised that they will not be checking vaccinations or asking people to wear face masks, um, <laughs> which... I guess for some people that could have been a draw, but I think at the, I mean, this is October, 2021. So I think people were probably, I don't know. It, it's, it's questionable whether or not that was probably a good thing to promote. I don't know. <laughs> right. um, okay. So then uh, 
let's see. In December. So now we're October to December 2021. Oh, you know what I'm missing here? It wasn't in the notes. Okay. So <laughs> so they, they, they're trying to do TSR Con. They move it yeah. to the same week as Gary Con. And then... They tried to post on social media. Now, don't quote me. I'm, I'm trying to dissolve from memory, and my memory's horrible. But it was something like 800 people. They they put it on their social media that 800 people came to join them at TSRCon, and that pretty much no one went to GaryCon, is what they were trying to say. Wow. But it was wow, not okay. provable. <laughs> anyway. What are these guys smoking is what I, I want to know. I don't know. It's wild. Um, okay, so then... Oh my gosh. Okay, so now we're getting into like the real legal, legal things happening. Right, Wizards, right. Uh, you know, Wizards is suing so them. So at this point, is Wizards, are they, are they owned by Hasbro at this point or are they still just Wizards? No, Wizards was owned by Hasbro like two years after Wizards bought TSR. Right, so right. yeah, they've Hasbro has has been a part of pretty much all of this anyway. So these, these knuckleheads are taking on Hasbro at this point. Yes, yeah. Exactly. Wow, okay. That's that's pretty pretty keen. Mm -hmm. Good luck. Okay. So then they uh TSR four, excuse me, the two guys, they launch an Indiegogo campaign to stop Wizards of the Coast. Um again, they're basically saying Wizards are they're bullying us, you know, we're the original people, they're just, you know, whatever. Um and I think I think see again it's not in this timeline but it's in stuff in videos that I watched that I think they ended up having to drop the Indiegogo or they had to they had to stop something I can't remember but but they never said anything about like the money that they collected um right. which by the way they only collected like 4000 out of 40000 that they needed so it was right. very visible to everyone that like it was a big their, ca their cause was not being backed by a whole lot of people. Right. Um, okay, so then, oh, there it is. Yeah, eventually made 4K instead of 40K. See, I'm just jumping ahead of my own notes. Um, yeah. Okay, so now, oh, that was the <laughs> So TSR4 had filed a lawsuit against Wizard doing the whole, like, they're bullying us. But apparently they filed it in the wrong jurisdiction, so they had to refile it. Um, cause I guess, yeah, they just didn't do it right the first time. Uh, Oops. oopsie. Now, Michael, the ever elusive Michael. Okay. Right. So he, uh, I'm trying to, oh, th this is again. Yeah. It, it's more of the star frontiers, uh, was released, but sold out thing that happened. Um, right. but people were actually searching online. Like, has anybody publicly gotten one of these copies? Please show us. And crickets. Now, I, I noticed that you've got some faded notes in there. Is that stuff you're leaving out or is that stuff you're about it's, to cover? No, it's just stuff that I kind of, I was trying to, because there's so much to this timeline. I was really trying to whittle it down to just what's right. important to the lawsuit. There's some funny stuff there though. Um, name calling and just, yeah, if you want to go over that stuff, you can. I was just I can trying. see it says here, uh, Tim Kask, a profane message telling him to go suck Luke's Watsy's balls, you <laughs> fucking coward. <laughs> yeah. Using him of being fired from TSR for stealing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, yes. So I'm going to get into Justin Lanasa in a minute. Everybody remember this name because uh, there's right. a whole lot going on with Justin Lanasa, if you don't know. Um, right. 
but for now, so and pl- when I get into what's going on with Justin L- Lanasa, I think all of this is going to make some sense. Okay, so let's see. Okay, so they sued TSR4, sued Wizards. Wizards sues back, obviously. Um, and so now they're suing each other for all this stuff. And now we're getting into the all the legal mumbo jumbo. Um, you know, they have to get extensions because they're not, you know, pulling together everything that they need to pull together. Um, oh, here it is. The thing is, so see, again, I jump ahead of my notes. So TSR con actually takes place while they're going through all this legal mumbo jumbo. And they claimed that they asked just about everybody, 800 people who stopped by TSR con and they said that 60% of them had no idea that Gary Khan was going on and that we tried to push them o- to go over to Gary Khan and attend. Mm. <laughs> I'm not sure if I believe that. Um, let's see. Oh, here we go. Okay, so now... What, what date are we at at the moment? This is... This is March 2022. Okay, right. Okay. Um, so there's some... Um, minor little dramatic things happening um they rebound some copies of ad and d uh first edition books and they were selling for 650 bucks each um part of tsr3 um of their their folks was dave johnson evidence emerged that he had nazi connections um yeah uh so drive through rpg removes all of dave johnson's titles from their platform so there's just a lot of this oh it's just getting so messy and nasty and uh so now we're in may 2022 and they finally have a trial date set uh and then here we go so a leaked version of the star frontiers new game emerges on the internet this is the star frontiers that tsr3 said they were working on right Right. a leaked version comes out and this content which there are (laughs) there are screenshots in dungeons and discourse videos and i'm sure you can find all that the screenshots i'm not going to say exactly what it says but there was a bunch of racist and white supremacist stuff in this data that got leaked um character races with ability caps based on ethnicity various homophobic and transphobic uh, phobic rep- references and justin lanasa again that guy he immediately threatens to sue the blogger who leaked it okay saying you know this isn't real it's photoshopped you know what have you like <laughs> this is slander all this stuff right he was right. just getting really upset um which by the way there's a screenshot of his threat because he does it on social media and everything is completely misspelled. Like you, this guy has no credibility whatsoever. Um, Okay. So then uh, there, Oh, that's right. There's this video that again, I don't know if it's a leak or what have you, but there's a video of their Google drive, uh, (laughs) which has, it's literally an Excel spreadsheet that lists right. their enemies okay and next to the name there is a little description like um i'm trying to I, I can't i don't have the screenshot in front of me but it's something like you know luke don't trust him woke again all these like whoever's woke 
they don't like woke people um right. don't trust woke and blah 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 you know or this person is you know it was just a whole list of why they don't right. like these people this pejorative stuff yes uh okay so now uh let's see oh here we go so then now this is funny on the timeline it says that justin lanasa sent out customer data including addresses credit card numbers all this stuff but other sources i saw said that like the data was leaked or released somehow so i'm not sure when they when it says justin lanasa sent it i don't know if this sounds like he did it on purpose or if this was an accident right. but people's right. addresses credit card numbers for whatever reason he's involved and it got out um but he again claims that this was photoshopped and whoever says that he did it there's it's slander they're liars again um let's see so then okay so yeah now we're this was back in september when that happened and then now in june this year they're filing for bankruptcy okay now the thing that's really interesting it's not here in the notes but when they filed for bankruptcy they have to list like what their income is or what their right. profit or what have you and just for this year they've made 600 bucks like little over 600 bucks right. that's and they are going against hasbro and right like, I'm just, wow <laughs> so right. I, I i mean guys if you want to know more about like i'm sure i chopped this up but just go Go do your research. Go check out Dungeons and Discourse. There's so much involved here. It is nutty. Now, what I what I wanted to get back to, I think I I did. I got rid of the I had notes here about Justin Lanasa. Okay. Number one, right. he calls himself Sir Justin Lanasa, but he has never been knighted. But in every reference to himself, he is Sir. Sir Justin Lanasa. He wants people to refer to him that way in emails, in letters, what have you. Okay. Um, What's this guy look like? I'm going to Google him. Are you going to Google him? <laughs> I don't know what this guy looks uh, like. He's, look he, he's probably a prick. Um, I mean, he is a prick. Uh, let's see. What else? Oh, so he also is known for owning a string of tattoo parlors. Not that there's anything wrong with website. tattoo parlors, but my understanding is he had no knowledge or what's the word I'm thinking of? Experience with tabletop role-playing games at all when he came into the company. Now, I could be wrong, but all my research never says anything about him having any experience. He just owns a chain of tattoo parlors. He had a failed political campaign, which failed because it came out that he forced his female employees to wrestle in grits, um, which if you don't know what grits are, it's like, I think uh, somebody said it was like porridge. It's like oatmeal. It's like, right. yeah. Um, so yeah, apparently he forced his female employees to wrestle in grits. Um, that's why his political campaign failed. Uh, right. Yeah, there's pictures here of him with with um, armored vehicles and a warehouse. Apparently, he is a he has worked with many weapon platforms for over twenty five years, from gyro jet weapons to the common AR platforms and armored vehicles, and has invented. A handheld weapon system for a Picatinny Undermount Rails Gravity Grip TM. Interesting. Yes, there's this lovely picture of him with this uh, 
blonde woman wearing a puffy sleeved shirt and standing in front of Christmas trees with a with a child. And they look very happy indeed, but he does look like a douchebag, I must say. <laughs> I, yeah, that's I, the other thing was I think I read he was a weapons cre- uh, builder, creator, I don't know, something like right. that. Um, oh, gosh. Yeah. Okay. So sorry, guys. I, I was going, I was focusing on that timeline. So I wanted to check the chat real quick. Yes, Avery, this whole thing is a dumpster fire. <laughs> um, con seems appropriate. Yes, that is. Oh, you said that. <laughs> yeah, I said that. <laughs> Oh my gosh. It's, it's just, it's a mess. It's a dumpster fire. But anyway, so that's where we're at. So they're filing for bankruptcy and, oh, and the, the court case is postponed until March, 2024. So I'm not sure how much more drama we're going to get out of this, but maybe we'll get a little bit more. (laughs) We'll see. Sounds like it. I mean, these guys don't sound like they're going to just lie down and die. It, exactly. But, um, like they could have so many that. times before, but instead they just dug their feet in and like double down. Isn't it remarkable that this small group of people who are sort of related to the original TSR creator turn out to be essentially amongst, if not representational at least of the very worst individuals in our community like they are literally the worst of i mean terms like grognard come to mind although that doesn't necessarily have to have a negative connotation but it it certainly overlaps in the venn diagram of fuck muppets (laughs) (laughs) it is wild i had no idea i'm this actually kind of opened up a can of worms for me because I'm I this is why I love Doc too because he knows all this stuff and maybe you do too but like it made me question so do Luke and Ernie do they they don't have a relationship at all like they're brothers right do they hate each other are they completely at opposite ends of this or is this like a behind the scenes like we're cool bro but yeah I'm gonna do this business and I'm gonna do I'm just really curious how this works and Gail too like how what are what's their dynamic Right, right. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was curious to the mother. Like, where yeah. does she stand in relation to these two boys? And is she further on one side or the other or yeah. separate, separating herself from both of them? Or So wild. Wow. What a can of worms. What an amazing pile of research you managed to dig up there. <laughs> uh, once again, blown away by your thoroughness. Mm, it's just tonight. a timeline. <laughs> I just copied and pasted. <laughs> well, yeah. Fascinating though, isn't it? Yeah, the the it Nazi is. connections, the ridiculous tactics the photoshops the leaks the oh my god yeah and i'm sure i've missed like because there was just so much to pull in um that i did type things up and then once i saw the timeline i was like oh let's just copy and paste this this is more comprehensive but i do think that it doesn't contain everything so anybody who's interested in this go check out dungeons and discourse go i'm sure there's other youtube channels or sources that you can get uh, some of the other details that maybe I didn't pull in. It's fascinating. So, nice. all right. Uh, that is it for news. I figured that was enough that we didn't need to pull in anything else like, you know, TV shows and movies and stuff. Right. Um, but uh, now we're going to move on to our next segment, which is your weekend games. And I have nothing to report for my weekend games. I have not had anything nothing. happen this very last week. So I thought we could just... I'm so sorry. No, that's honestly, I... Well, let me... Okay, 
let me clarify. There is a moment here where I need to plan for... I'm trying to remember now. I feel like I don't know if I told you guys this. Yeah, you're planning the end of your campaign, are you not? I am. And so I... Oh, that's right. Yes. Okay, because I last week I showed you guys the two pieces of terrain that I built. Um, right. And, yeah, and they were fucking awesome. So I do have something to report then. Nothing major. But I built those two pieces of terrain thinking, okay, I know the jet general direction they're going to head. This can happen or this can happen. Right. And because it's getting towards the end of the game gosh stop me if, if i've said this i feel like i've said this to people uh that they are doing you know with the, when you're at the end of a video game and you're like oh i still need to complete this and i still need to i'm gonna complete all the things before i go to the right. so right they're, tidy it up wrap up all the loose ends instead of going where i thought they were gonna go they just kind of decided, you know what? We haven't gone into this guy's backstory. Let's go over yeah, here. And right. so I yeah, did okay, I did say this. So um, now I'm at a point where I kind of have to get back into my world building head because uh -huh. I didn't expect them to go to this area. And right. I, as much as I want to kind of expedite things and get them to the end, because I, I promised them that we would get to the end by so-and-so months, um, yeah. I I don't want to just gloss over this person's backstory because he hasn't been able to play as much because um, right. he has kind of a rotating schedule. So I did right. ask him and I said, you know, what things would you as a player want to experience? Like, you know, when we get to the end of the game, would you have gone, oh, man, I wish I'd talked to I wish I'd tried to find this person. I wish I'd, you know, done this while I was here in this area. Like, what are some things that, you know, you're going to miss if you don't do it so that I can try to incorporate that? So that's where I'm now trying to figure out how I can fit that in. So I right. can't say too much because I'm pretty sure he's listening. Um, <laughs> however, if you guys stick around, we are going to world build and create a monster monsters encounter for this game uh and then i will tell you guys what happens so stick around but that's cool. that's it for my weekend games wow okay well that's that's pretty interesting really i mean going into characters backstories is always a great source of inspiration and there's always you know a ton that can come out of that um and it's always going to be relevant too because it's you know obviously it's intimately tied into a player character's you know history and story so um, you'll have at least one person who's excited about it. Right. And and given that the other players theoretically have relationships with that character, then they will be probably interested too because they get to find out more about their companion. Right. So, you know, that's, that's pretty cool. Well, actually, um, you know what was really interesting yeah. was it wasn't even – so the backstory that we're going into, it wasn't even that player that said – I want to go into this. It was actually another player who said, right. hey, we haven't gone into his backstory yet. Let's go over here. So he was right. interested. So you're yeah. right. I think at least a couple people are like, well, what's happening over yeah. there? Let's go check that out. Well, I mean, if, if that's what they want, you know, give the people what they want. Give exactly. Them, you know, give them games and give them bread, I say. Mm -hmm. Aha. Yeah. Well, I've had a fairly quietish week really i haven't been feeling that great this week i've been a bit sort of drained and, and a number of uh, migraines and things so it hasn't been a great week but have had some fun nonetheless um we did part two of the festival of fame um run that's by the one our, you play in right 
Yeah, that's well. It's on. It's in the time slot where normally I DM and I stream the Vaingate Chronicles, which for us is Friday nights at seven PM plus twelve UTC mm -hmm. on Rollstream at Twitch. Just saying. Um, <laughs> but uh, for the last two weeks, Caitlin Flower, who's one of our players and also a fabulous actress, um, she has been DMing for us, and so we've been doing this thing that she's called the Festival of Fam which is kind of about what's essentially happened is our, our player characters have been, we found this festival in the middle of nowhere, sort of in the forest at first and, and got involved with this festival. And it's turned out that it's being run by a bunch of Fae who are using the festival as a way to draw us into the Feywild so that we could then compete as tribute tributes um, uh, against other groups um, in different ways. And the, 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 the encounter or, or basically the scenario that we did on, on session two, which was last Friday night, Thursday day, I think, for most of you guys in America, um, mm. we, we turned up in this sort of water arena um, with starting off on the sort of floating dirt platform. And then there were these pillars and the pillars had different statues on them. And then there were these serpents in the water and... Um, you know, so we got into the sort of ongoing combat that lasted through most of the session with various traps and things and a lot of climbing up pillars and stuff. And one of our players, unfortunately, couldn't be there because he's getting eye surgery at the moment. So we kind of, um, Caitlin found a way of pulling him out of the story. And his character is my character's mentor. I play this first level bard, fifth, fifth level, sixth six level sorcerer. Sixth level sorcerer, third level bard. Yeah, um, I'm a halfling called Tom Hardley. Um, That's right. I love that name. He's pretty funny. He's really fun to play, but he does talk too much. Um, and anyway, yeah, I, I my character is very underpowered. Like he, he's uh, all of the spells that I have chosen for him are like mostly utility type spells and stuff. Good for social situations. Good for stealing stuff or espionage or thievery that type of stuff. But um, and, he, and he doesn't really have the nature to do a lot of that stuff anyway, but he's good at it. Um, so he will do it when he has to, but he doesn't usually sort of run headlong into um, those sorts of situations. And he really, really, really didn't want to fight. Like his, I think there's the sort of my last line in the first session was something to the effect of, you know, I just want to eat pies and go home. <laughs> traumatized. You know, very traumatized. <laughs> So, yeah, we end up in this big fight, and uh, at the end of it, we got sucked down into the water, um, under the water, and we had to fight what I assume was some sort of aboleth homebrew mm. creation thing, which actually I killed in the end. It was, uh, when I say I killed it, I mean, I did, like, I did the least amount of damage to it, but I, I got the killing blow, Um which involved me pulling a, my loot out of my bag of holding underwater and then casting catapult on it and flinging it into the eye of the creature where it sort of busted open and smashed into splinters and all the strings broke in this discordant malady of uh, Aboleth death. That's and awesome. It actually worked. So that was where we sort of left it. Um, oh, no, then we, we appeared in a forest and we know there's wolves coming. So that was that was that game um oh before you move on i'm just gonna yeah. say i can see my husband in the chat laughing ha 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 because he knows that's his character and he's the reason why we had to not use my two terrain pieces that i 
slave labor. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right. Oh, no. Okay. Sean, is it? Now I know who you are, Sean. Yep, I, now I we know. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to add you as a friend right now. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you say no, which you, uh, of course. That's well, too funny. Um, yeah, so then what do we do? We have Sunfall is, is my Wednesday face-to-face campaign um who avery is is in that campaign um and one of the characters the barbarian um recently stole a artifact an axe called bale um which has it's an intelligent um ancestral weapon which he's connected to when he first saw it in this um this collection shall we say um it spoke to him and he had to go back and steal it um, having stolen it. Um, Wait, when you say it spoke to him, do you mean like it actually like said words or yeah. you're saying like he it, wanted... <laughs> yeah, it whispers into his mind. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it, it, it's it's pretty cool. I mean, when you kill something and you, you roll like a 19 or a 20, they have to make a saving throw to be afraid of you. Yeah. Um, not wow. kill, but you know, if you hit with a yeah, 19 or a 20, they have to make saving throws to, or fear and it's got some other powers. That's awesome. Um, and it grows as you level up too, because we're using the ancestral weapons um, PDF from DMs Guild, um, created by some very clever person who sat down and made that. Um, it's a very cool system. Anyway, um, yeah. So he had to go back and apologize to the lady whose collection this was, and he really didn't want to, um, but he decided to do it in the end. So that was cool. And now they're planning. Um, the kidnapping of a uh, who are they kidnapping a barracile envoy wizard which is going to be troublesome because they have this particular fellow martinus has an a, a small um entourage of four apprentices with him at all times and so they're, they're figuring out how they're going to basically try and get him into a carriage and ride him off and get him on a boat and convince them that he's there to do something that he's not and that's, yeah, it's, it sounds like a good plan. We'll see how well they can execute it. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, Burning Path has a new player, Caleb, and he's doing great. He's a half-elf um, who was brought up in the Sornal Farms. I have this bit of lore in my world where elves or even half-elves that want to dissociate themselves from their family lineages because i've got a lot of lore about family lines and lineages and most of my characters most of my player characters have some kind of family connection somewhere in the world and and i have a lot of sort of family tree stuff that interconnects with the factions and and so on and motivations so yeah so this guy um there's this order called the Black Guard who, who work for this sort of, let's just say he's the usurper king of the elves. Um, and the Black Guard are kind of like the SS. They turn up at your house and you shit your pants. So um, the Black Guard tend to be the, the, the greatest creators of half-elf offspring mm-hmm. um, because they're basically nasty fuckers and they get around. And so they've created this thing called the Sornal Farms, which are where they take these half-elves and raise them there as spies and rogues and such out in the middle of nowhere. And they don't know what their lineages or anything. So any any, any elf that wants to distance themselves from their family line, they, they choose the name Sornal. Um, it's like Smith or, you know, how directors that want to distance themselves from movies that they've created call yeah. themselves Adam yeah. Smith. 
mm-hmm. kind of like that. So anyone that wants to sort of not be associated with their family lineage calls themselves such and such Sornal um, or some some variation of that. So, yeah, this new player is playing a half-elf from the Sornal Farms, and that's turning out to be very interesting. Um, my vampire game on Sunday nights. Oh, we're getting influxed. Influx, that's a new word. I just made that up. We, ha- we have an <laughs> influx of new players there. Um, I'm actually at capacity now, six players. That's um, awesome. So that's very cool. Um, but it is proving challenging getting everyone to sort of work together. I mean, I, I sort of outlined it from the beginning and we sat down with, with the group at different times now and we've discussed who's got connections to who and what their relationships are and how they influence each other. Why would they want to work together? Blah, blah, blah. And we've created a pretty elaborate kind of background there now, which seems to be working really nicely. And, you know, I had to work quite hard. My, my whole sort of message on this is that, I want the players, and I say this a lot, I want the characters to have their bonds to be stronger than their conflicts. But that way, I mean, they, they should have conflicts because conflicts is drama, right? But right. as long as their bonds are stronger than their conflicts, then the group will cohese and work together. We don't want the old situation where we've got players trying to steal shit off each other or destroy each other or PvP-type situations, um, you know, trying to avoid that sort of thing at all costs. Um, whilst letting people play their characters fully. So having metagamed that stuff, I think we talked about last week. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bringing it back. To, <laughs> yeah, it seems to be working a lot better. And I guess last but not least, I've just been booked for a seminar where I shall be talking about world building, funnily enough, um, at a library in front of some budding authors, apparently. So nice. that's going to be interesting. So, yeah, I've... Have I done anything else this week? I can't really think of anything really exciting besides that. Um, ran a game at a restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> I wish. I mean, it just sounds like your week was so much busier than mine because I didn't really have much to report. If only I could just report well, on like homesteading stuff because you know, <laughs> I, right. like I, I had to bathe a chicken and it was really gross. But you guys don't wow. want to hear about that. So. Well, you know, you, you can always take that stuff and, and sort of, you know, integrate that into your stories, use it as inspiration for the mundane moments oh, that yeah. happen in stories, especially in D&D. Yes. So, yeah. And I also That's... want to get back to uh, Upright Man because he said in the chat he often considers playing a character like Kane from Kung Fu series, soft-spoken, right. nonviolent, and refuses to take a life, but most D&D games won't allow it. I would like to challenge you, Upright Man, mm. and say it's not the game so much as your table because I could imagine playing a character like that at the table that I'm at and it would mm. be okay as mm. long as I play into the fun of it, right? Like as long as my group knows, hey, I'm probably not killing anybody. I'm probably not going to hurt anybody. But guess what? You know, like I'll heal you guys or I'll I'll support you or maybe I'll look like I think we talked about this. One of the characters like um, fumbles and falls and like, oops, my dagger just fell into your chest. Oh, no. You know, like you right, can still right. do that without being, right. um, you know, a and violent can... type. I mean, my my bard sorcerer is all about sort of restraining people um, and that type of stuff as well. Like he'll do anything to not commit violence, but he's you know as a sorcerer, he's got spells that work, like charm person and hold person and stuff like that. That right. also kind of relate to that. Um, but he really doesn't want to kill anyone. 
But you, you can also remember you can grapple people in D&D. You can grapple them and restrain them and, and all of that business as well. So yeah. keep that in mind. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's totally possible. Um, you just have to build your character the right way and take the right feats, I guess. Um, and more to the point, at the end of the day, the DM makes a lot of difference, I think, you know, letting you get away with that stuff. Right. Sometimes certain DMs are going to really push the rules in one direction or another. Yeah. But you totally get away with it in one of my games if you want it upright, man. I'm just saying. <laughs> just saying. I'm enjoying my games. And then real quick before we move on to the next uh topic or the next segment i just want to let everybody know remind everyone that if you are enjoying what you're hearing and if you like our show please share with your friends share with your groups like and subscribe all that stuff just help us help you yeah please that's it thank you and stuff <laughs> right well um are we we're doing the uh the thing the, 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 the today uh, do got you want to do yeah you want to do the unsolicited opinion let's do it Honestly, I, I, yeah, we can, we have time. Let's do it. (laughs) All right. This is going to be fairly short anyway. I don't have uh, huge amounts to say on this. And a lot of it has been said in one way or another before, but I just, you know, I wanted to cover this again. And I want to talk about player character death. Um, And I'm sure that, you know, most of us have had a character die at some point or another. And, you know, it typically it sucks, um, especially when it's accidental or it's in some sort of meat grinder situation where you're in a game where the DM is running uh, something like, for example, the Death House in Curse of Strahd, where Mm. you just go in there with one character and they die, and then the next week you come back with a new character and they die, and then the third week you come back with a new character, but you get to a new room and then they die. Mm -hmm. Um, That kind of meat grinder game. If you're in the right mood for that, if you're in the in that sort of headspace and that's what you want and that's what you're having fun with, that's great. But player character death, even in that case, is this never really the most exciting outcome that you were looking forward to? It's sort of a bit disappointing. You're going to make a new character, what have you? Right. Um, so, and also uh, just to tie it into our topic tonight, I mean, player character death can happen if you don't plan your. Um, your encounter your monster you don't scale your monster appropriately or what have you so we'll get into that topic later but yeah yeah so I, I sort of want to talk a little bit about how to or the consequences of that um in terms of avoiding these sorts of accidental deaths where people people's characters end up dying and it's sort of meaningless it's you know then that's the thing i think if you want the players to have fun you want them to feel like they have agency, but at the same time, you have to have the sense of having high stakes. So we talked about metagaming a lot last week, and this kind of ties back into that. And it's to me, it's all about the communication between the player and the, the DM, the DM and the players overall. Um, in so much as you, you need to, in my opinion, you need to talk about whether or not they felt that this type of death is appropriate or, you know, you want to avoid killing them by choosing the the right DC and making sure that the, or or challenge rating really, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, You do get the occasional killer DM who's just out there to kill characters. And I don't think you want to be that guy. Um, It's to me, if you've got a DM that's just killing characters, it says to me that they don't have any planning. Because they don't know where the game's going. They haven't put any effort into actually planning the game beyond the point where they're killing off your characters. Um, so 
you know, but at the same time, you want those stakes. So having having the occasional deadly encounter, um, at least on my table, is sort of how I work it. But there are alternatives to killing PCs, you know, as far as keeping the stakes high and yeah. making it exciting. Um, <clears throat> like, instead of perhaps killing a player character to just sort of, you want to show the players something, you want to make sure they understand the consequences of their actions, blah, blah, blah. You don't have to necessarily kill them to do that. You can you can kill off their favorite NPC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that you can make them cry and they will cry <laughs> a lot harder over that. You can make it hurt without. You can make yeah. it hurt. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I've seen players cry over this stuff. My, oh, my yeah. ex, 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 ex girlfriend from years ago, um, didn't talk to me for two weeks after I killed off an NPC. I mean, literally didn't talk to me for two weeks because she was so upset about it. Yeah. Um, you know, and it was her character, like to this NPC, there was like a father figure to her. And, you know, I guess there were other issues in there somewhere. But um, anyway, so, yeah, I just wanted to touch on this. Sometimes, I mean, I had a, an interesting situation recently where I have a player who had a character that did die in a kind of random and unexpected way, um, which I didn't feel great about. And afterwards, we we looked at it and thought, well, there were... There was a way in which he could have survived that, but we didn't think of the mechanic at the time. Right. And more recently, he had a character that I think he sort of just decided he didn't really like playing that much and wanted to kill off. Um, and I think the, the important thing here is if you do have a character like that that you want to kill off, what you should definitely do is tell the dungeon master. Mm-hmm. Don't start playing your character in a hazardous way in, 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 in order to get yourself killed mm-hmm. um, because it can really upset the whole game and knock everything out of balance, you know? Right. Um, I, I was a little bit upset about this particular situation and it made my life very difficult. And it's that being said, um, I don't blame the player for this. I think that it was just a, it was just a sort of casual mistake, but it really would have helped me a lot if we could have sat down and talked about, I want my character to die. How do we make it dramatic? Uh, we won't tell anyone this is going to happen, but we're going to, you know, I want this, a scene somewhere where I can kill off this character and it can be meaningful and we can say goodbye to them so I can bring in a new character later or something like that. Right. Um, that way it just, it doesn't leave everyone at the table with like a bad taste in their mouth, you know? Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. That's that's kind of the point there. And I think that you want your character, if they mean anything to you or if they have meant anything to you, then you want them to go out in sort of some legendary way that, that, that leaves an impression and a mark and, and not sort of just be a, another stain on the wall <laughs> of, of the dungeon, at, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that's all I, have, I really want. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was just kind of checking your notes, and that's the thing is, um, especially when it comes to creating, if you're going to homebrew or scale monsters, because I was, you know, trying to mm. uh, connect this with the topic we're going to talk about later. Yeah, right. Um, as a DM, when you are scaling and homebrewing your monsters, there's a very real chance that you scale things inappropriately or don't take something into account. And then next thing you yeah. know, you have killed one of your player characters. Um, yeah. And yeah. I think when we get to the topic, I'll cover some of the ways that I handle when I've not scaled something properly. And uh, yeah, right. we'll we'll talk about I that. I look forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, 
is, is it time for our break? Yeah, I think it's a good time for a break. Hey, everybody, if you've stuck around this long, please stick around just a little bit longer. We are about to yeah. get into our topic. After the break, we're going to talk about scaling and homebrewing monsters, okay? And or encounters, because it doesn't just have to be monsters. Or it could be a combination of all of those. So stick around. Uh, during the break, we are going to uh, feature some music by The Imaginary Suitcase. Uh, I just listened to it earlier today. I really... it. it kind of transports me to like I don't know it, I, it transports me to like an ancient place I keep thinking like I don't know I'm in in the the I'm gonna get it wrong what I'm just picturing green hills of Ireland what is is that right. like called the moors or is that where is that Moors, yeah why not I don't know. yeah no, why not knows. but anyway it nobody kind of transports knows. me a bit and maybe that's not their intention but I really loved the music and then there's also okay. an art video by Nat 20 which I think is just one of those you know those fascinating like satisfying videos where you're just watching something and it just it's so satisfying to watch it's very peaceful you're gonna love that mm -hmm. and then we have some deception checks from our own mm -hmm. Dungeon Studios voice actors so wow uh, we're going to see you in about 13 minutes and then we will get right. into our topic. See you then, Let's everybody. Line it up.
Hi, this is Sean from Christmas. Hello, can you hear me okay? Hello? Yeah. Who am I speaking to? Yes, hello. This is, uh, this is Lord Aldor, and I'm looking for a personal trainer. Sounds great. Good. Are you in, uh, Ventura, Camarillo, or more Park? Now, more Park, but we do have a very extreme request, and I want to get that out of the way right off the bat. Okay. Are you familiar with paintballing? Paintball? Yes. Absolutely. You see, I am an avid hunter, and so I have tracked and bagged many, many rare game. But the one prey I have yet to bag is the most elusive of all. The human hunt. So what I'm looking for is somebody who is in excellent physical shape. So what can you bench? Uh, for me, I don't know if I'm the, I'm the right person for you. I have, I have a lot of people at the gym, though, that you can hunt, I'm sure. Well, how fast is your quarter mile? We need a sprinter. It also has longevity. Now, the paintballs themselves... Longevity of the, I just wanted to go into the paintballs themselves. They're going to be half filled with flat latex and half curar, uh, which is a nerve toxin which will follow you just long enough for me to urinate on your feet, therefore marking my territory. Sounds fair enough. Uh, you should wear boots, very high boots. Uh, you will be stripped down to a loincloth and released into the wild with nothing but a compass and some fruit roll-ups, which I highly recommend that you, you eat sparingly, because that's all you're going to get. How many fruit roll-ups? Uh, probably, I, I think a good half pound. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so I didn't make manage. That, that should give you the energy enough. You know, for you, we'll give you a 30-minute head start. It's going to be on an island. I own the island. It's it's going to be a great... It's going to be televised. Um, so you will have to sign an NDA. Uh, but, you know, we'll go over all of that in the contract. Where can I send that to? Sure. Why don't you bring it in in person? Perfect. Are you there now? Well, I could meet you at the Ventura location here in uh, an hour. And can I get your name? Yes, Again? it's Lord Aldor. Aldor. Perfect. Thank okay. you. Goodbye.
Hello, I'm Evelyn Driverwood, and my sisters and I have chosen your grounds, and we would love to check on some permits and regulations to see if we can perform our ritual on your grounds. Hello? Uh, uh, so what do you need to do? Oh, there's only about seven of us. Uh, we'll be in formation, you know, like holding hands and naked for several hours, and we'll be doing spells. Then we're, we'll be gathering some herbs from the property and trapping some small animals. Um, sure. <laughs> oh, excellent. Say, now, are you available for the ritual? Oh, you're damn right I am. Oh, this is amazing. I love your positive energy. We won't need to do, to do cleansing on you. Or maybe we will. But we will need you to take off your shirt and bathe in pig's blood. Are you willing to do that? By cleansing, do you mean a sponge bath? Oh, we can definitely do that. Oh, we can definitely do that. Oh, you are being so open. Yes, I love your energy. Gods in the sky in the blink of an eye. Take his shirt off or he will die. But don't worry, we will bring you back to life. Don't be silly. Sounds great. Oh my goodness. You are really into this ritual, aren't you? But yeah, of course. 
and the sponge baths. Oh, we will all be taking sponge baths together. Sounds even better. Don't worry, you will be surrounded by seven beautiful women. Okay. Thank you so much. We will be in touch. Alright, I have a feeling this is one of my friends and I love you for these phone calls. Thank you and have an excellent day. Alright, you too. Are we back? Why can I not hear anything? That's me. I forgot to unmute myself. So ah. the internet just watched me just talking at them mutely. We're right. a very smooth run show. We are. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But entertaining. Okay. Uh, perfect. Practice. Um, Practice. Practice makes perfect. Exactly. All right. So here we go, guys. If you have stuck around, we're about to talk about our topic, which is scaling and homebrewing monsters. Um, I'm excited about this topic because I am very bad about looking at the stats, the stat block when I'm running an encounter. It's just I prioritize keeping everything moving, keeping everyone engaged, eye contact, moving everything around, like just taking a minute yeah. to even look down at a stat block is just really hard for me. So I homebrew mm. a lot of my monsters or I, I'll do some make of the things that I'm about fly. to say. You what? You can make them up on the fly. Exactly. Don't um, tell anyone. Just, 
it's honestly easier than you might think. I see a lot of questions sometimes from people in forums where they just, it, they, and again, I mean, if you're new to the game, I totally understand that you feel the need to stick to the rules as written because you're just getting your feet under you. But I'm telling you, even if you're new to DMing, you can do this easily and your players will never know. All right, so here we go. Probably like it too. They'll probably like it too. Um, okay, so let's talk about scaling first. All right, what does it mean to scale a monster? Um, well, how would you describe it? I, I wanted to ask, why would you scale a monster? Is that an important question, or do we have do we have no, that? We can come back to. Yeah, let's talk about. Yeah, why scale a monster? Um, why scale a monster? Well, why would you scale a monster? So I would scale a monster because I. Um, for example, we're going to talk about this later, but my players mm. are in an area that's like mountainous, rocky terrain, and I mm. want to grab uh, a monster or something like it that would mm. fit in that terrain. So I usually right. go to, you know, D&D &D Beyond or what have you, the monster manual, right. try to find the appropriate monster, but maybe that monster that I like isn't yeah. uh, does it's not the right CR or the challenge rating or what have you right. for my yeah. party. So that's when I would right. scale it. Yeah, I mean, I have similar kind of feelings to that. And I mean, for me, if you look at the monster manual, you go through it and there's all these monsters and they're all different challenge ratings and that's great. And it gives you a lot of choices. But usually, I mean, for me at least, my campaigns have a kind of aesthetic or a theme or a mood or a tone. Right. And throwing in random shit from the outer planes or yeah. from wherever. Like imagine really being in vampire and all of a sudden you come across a pink, fluffy bunny of doom like that's not yeah. really gonna it's gonna break immersion right <laughs> exactly exactly and i mean there's a I, I think i was thinking about this last week i have a lot of orcs in my campaign for example there's a there's a whole thing going on with orcs but there's only so many orcs in the monster manual so at some point you're like well i need some more orcs i need mm -hmm. to i need to change this up i need different types of them and different levels of them and as the characters sort of scale up there's no reason why an orc can't you know, get to level 10 or what have you, you know, you, mm -hmm. you can have a more powerful group of orcs or what have you. So when you want to have consistent antagonists in your story or factions that are going to be the ongoing um, antagonists through to the end or something, or at least through a major story arc, um, you don't want to get to the point where you, the players are just wiping the floor with them constantly because that's too easy. So right. That seems to be the, the the general thing there. So for me, it's mood and tone, and it sounds to, to me like that's a similar thing for you. It is, because, you know, you yeah, I, I hate to break immersion, whether it's me mm. being the DM and taking a minute to look at things or just, yeah, coming across the pink fluffy bunny when, like, right. what, where are we? Like, it doesn't make any right. sense. I um, think there needs to be more campaign-themed creatures monsters with with the range of challenge ratings so you can have a campaign that's set in the arctic and you don't have weird fire shit coming into it you know or right whatever you know yeah. and i i sometimes um because i just want to make sure it's clear to anybody who is listening to us like mm. when I think when most people talk about scaling monsters, they talk about like scaling them up, but I, you can also scale them down, right? Like, um, for example, as for me anyway, as a player, beginning yeah. levels can like level one, level two, level, level three can kind of be sometimes a little boring. And so yeah. I like to treat my players with something that feels 
like an epic encounter, like they're coming across a big monster, but I will scale it down and also have it make sense. Like it's it's an injured big monster or, you know, right. for whatever reason. Yeah, or it's a baby big monster, you know, so you can take yeah. big monsters or, or, you know, high CR monsters and scale them down as well. So, right. yeah. yeah, it's just fun. Yeah, All well, right. they've just woken up from a long slumber after yeah. a thousand years, and they're still a bit groggy and not so good on their feet yet. That's another great reason. Yeah, so you can come up with any reason that would make sense for why this huge monster yeah. is just not as powerful. The lich has just arisen, and they're still getting their powers back. It's going to take three days. Now you've got a time lock. Do the thing. Yeah. All right. Anyway, I'm sorry. Please no, that's, continue. That's fine. Yeah, so let's talk about ways to scale a monster and there's so many ways to scale a monster you can and this is where for those of you that are new just hang in there because i know there's the question of but how do i know how much to scale the monster how you know how much do i tone it down how much do i tone it up i will get to that we will get right. to that but for now well, let's talk about intently because i don't know Yo, really? Okay, I'm going to tell you my trick. Um, but so, okay, so ways to scale a monster, all right? So this is what I would have you visualize, new person or anyone who's listening, right? Imagine the monster's stat block. I mean, you can see them in the monster manual, online, what have you, but it's got just a bunch of information. It's got their HP. It's got their, how much, how hard they hit, their damage, their attacks. Um, the class. Yeah, all the things, right? Every little thing on that stat block can be tweaked. Okay, mm. so let's talk about it. <laughs> um, so if you want to rescale, or I'm sorry, if you if you want to make a higher C monster, higher CR monster, or lower CR monster, the easiest way I think to scale it would be go find. You know what? Sorry, I feel like we need to backtrack real quick. I missed yeah. something because I want to talk about challenge rating <laughs> just right. for a second. I. Right. Hey, before we get into scaling, because CR is a big thing, right? That's This right. is how new players or new DMs determine this is the monster I'm going to throw at you because you guys are all level four. So therefore, this level four monster should right. be a good challenge for you, right? And it is based on a group of four players. So it should be four level four characters versus one CR four creature. Exactly. Right. But there's six of you, you have to think about that. Yeah, and they don't really give you a good scale in the in the I mean, yeah, I, I don't think I've seen it in the yeah. DM's guide. Like, yeah, if you have if you have six players, then you choose yeah. this. They don't tell you that. They just leave it up to your good intellect to decide. Um, yes. But let's say, okay, four players, level four, you choose a level four monster. Okay. Now I think we talked about this last week, but the, the game or the, yeah, the game doesn't know whether or not you've given your players high, high powered magical items. They don't mm. know whether or not you've got all clerics. Like they just don't know. <laughs> so, right. so the CR is a suggestion. It's a guideline. Yeah. And it's a very it is, loose guideline. It's a loose guideline and it can be helpful. But this is where now, now that we've talked about challenge rating, now we can talk about scaling and the things that I do to combat things like throwing a monster at your players and your players just like bash it in two hits and boom, done. And boy, that was a lot of fun. The, the book said right. it was going to be fun. It said CR should be fine, you know, or right. 
the opposite happens and oh no you've got your player character death and that wasn't the intention it was just a level four monster and that can happen right. when you have your low level characters oh you got to be so careful with them they're so squishy so yeah sure. <laughs> okay so now sorry had to backtrack now we're mm -hmm. talking about ways to scale your monster right so number one easiest way reskin so let's say we've got our four characters they're out in the forest we choose i don't know i'm trying i can't even think off the top of my head what's a good ogre. cr monster an ogre okay um now you want them to fight an ogre but maybe the cr seems like it could be a little high for them or maybe you know that um they don't have a lot of magic items. They don't have any healing potions. They don't have a healer. So you want to dumb it down a little bit. Um, easily enough, you could just, you know, reduce the HP, reduce the damage that this, this thing does. Um, you can also go check out another monster in the monster right. manual that has a lower CR and then kind mm -hmm. of like match up those. That's the HP. That's the AC. Oh. We've got. I'm just looking at the ogre stat block, right? It's uh -huh. it's got, it's a it's a CR two creature. So theoretically, four fourth level characters could fight two of these things oh, at once. There you go. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In theory. In or theory. one group of second level characters, four second level characters could fight this. Could fight one of these things, and it would be a reasonable challenge rating. It would be it would be medium, not hard or deadly, and not easy but medium right right um yeah so that's that's just a sort of benchmark so that you can think about that okay where the ogre is sort of a, a sort of call that the standard kind of you know i don't know gives us an idea at least something to latch on to right yeah so let's say okay so we've got four level four <laughs> characters and then we throw two ogres okay right now what i've heard is is the the old adage is just add more hp if it looks like they're just handling it and they're not taking any damage and and they're just whipping these ogres asses then just right. bump up their hp until it feels right that like they're posing a right. challenge which can be it can be okay that's okay to yeah. do it sometimes. can be problematic too i mean you've got you've got a range of hit points normally i mean dnd beyond tells me that they have 7d10 plus 21 hit points, right? So you mm -hmm. could roll those 7d10 and add 21, or you could take the average, which is 59, mm -hmm. or you could just choose to give them the maximum number of hit points that they can have, mm -hmm. you know? And the other thing to keep in mind is once you add two ogres, you've got twice as many attacks. It changes the action economy significantly, and it's actually harder than a, than a challenge, one challenge level four creature. Right. Because you're basically getting the players are getting four turns essentially against your one turn, you know. <laughs> hmm. If you've got one creature, yeah. And the minute yeah. you start adding them, I mean, because that's the other way to make encounters harder is to just just add more monsters or what have you, you know. Right, right. So anyway. if you're gonna scale these up, like I said, people can add HP. You can just kind of or. Sometimes I've heard, you know, DMs do it in the middle of the encounter, right? Oh, this isn't going the way I wanted. Let's just say that they're not dead yet for like another two rounds or something. You know, like they'll just kind of add it on the fly. Um, you can buff up their AC. Why don't you put, I mean, if these are ogres, I mean, I don't know, could they be armored? And then maybe you'd have to ask yourself, why would they be armored? Or maybe there's some natural 
armor, like they're wearing hides or something, um, yeah. but something to bump up their AC. Right. I mean, ogres have an 11 armor class, which is kind of pathetic. And that says right. hide armor. So you could totally say these are mercenary ogres that have been armed by the Vogmanchu mercenary company, and they've been given plate mail. So they're fucking hard to hit. Now their AC <laughs> is 16 or 18 or 19 or something. Exactly. Um, you can beef up their damage, you know, maybe give them, describe their weapon as having some kind of like, you know, magical aura and give an extra like, I don't know, 1d6 fire damage with their attacks, you know, something to that effect. Um, You can also make sure you switch up, think about melee and ranged, right? Because if you have, let's say, a party that's all melee fighters then maybe throw give that monster a little bit of a ranged attack so that they can keep some distance and that'll give them you know your party a little bit more difficulty or reach weapons right yeah so we have we deal a lot with reach in the game that i play in because i'm a chain fighter so i have a 10 foot reach so we end up facing a lot of monsters that have reach as well it's my dm's like well if you can do it i can do it too (laughs) absolutely And you can name them as well. You can have a named creature. Like you take a a stat block from a creature that already exists and you say, well, this one, his name is or her name is blah. Mm -hmm. And then you fuck with the stat block because this is an individual, specific individual. As Upright Man says, um, uh, was it Upright Man that said this actually? No. uh, Are you checking the chat? Yeah about um thinking of monsters as races they should exist as different levels of experience same as pc races right so i mean you can make an ogre and then say well this guy's a 10th level fighter ogre and then try and build something that resembles that somehow Mm -hmm. um and then if you're going to beef them up you can also give them some extra abilities um and i put in here including legendary now i wouldn't throw legendary probably at level four players i mean there's bonus actions bonus actions again you're talking about action economy um abilities they can maybe they get maybe like you said instead of a it would be kind of weird having a rogue ogre but some you know uh something like a sneak attack or you know whatever abilities that players player characters have consider giving that to your feats to your monster yeah feats uh spells um now with spells i find interesting area of attack you know really think about again your your party that you're up against whether they're melee or distance fighters and consider giving your monster area of effect a spell so you get a huge you know you can maybe hit three of them at once um you can also think about using spells if you have a party that you're going against where maybe they have some low i don't know charisma wisdom intelligence you can throw some spells in there to like charm them fear Sounds them uh, not fear them but you know make them fear you yeah. Uh, so you can really jumble it up. Think about the party. You have that elves in the group against. that are resistant to that type of thing. You know, you might want to split the group a little bit. Right. Yeah. Uh, resistances. You can give your monster some resistances. If you know that you're going to be going up against a party of, you know, they're all fire casters, then maybe come up with a monster and a reason. Again, try to make it make sense in your world, but a reason why they would be coming up against a monster that's probably resistant to fire. Make it a little bit more difficult for them. Um, yeah, we talk. Oh, you mentioned feats. Yeah, give them some feats. You know, uh, right. maybe they can. Um, 
uh, if they're if you're adding spells to your monster, maybe give them what's the feat that uh, they can like have advantage on their concentration check or something. Right, like warcaster or, war like or something. Warcaster, something like that. So it makes yeah. it difficult. Um, you don't have to use it exactly as it's written either. You can make it your own. It's this particular character that's doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, it's, uh, I, oh, yeah. Well, it's interesting. Like I'm taking, I'm looking at the goblin stat block now because there's something interesting about the goblins, which I think is kind of cool. They have a thing in their stat block called nimble escape. Mm-hmm. The goblin can take the disengage or hide action as a bonus action on each of its turns. Now, that's that's the sort of thing that makes them more interesting. If you don't use that mm-hmm. um, element and you don't know how to use that element, um, you're you're missing something. You're 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 the, the goblins work in groups. So you've got creatures that have things like pack tactics, um, which I have to look up the exact wording of pack tactics now. But these are the sorts of things that make groups of creatures work really well. Mm-hmm. And if you take some of the feats like shield master and so on um, that player characters can take, and you can give them to creatures. I recently homebrewed some some guards, the wyvern clad guards, in one of my cities in my my campaign. And they have, they're significantly more dangerous when there's four of them, not because there's four times as many, but because they can do things like help each other mm-hmm. gain advantage on attacks and give disadvantage to their enemies because they work together as a group right. the way that players do. Um, I made a, a paladin type of character, an NPC paladin um, who has rather than having like having i hate having to look up spells in the middle of combat it's a pain oh, in the i do ass, too yeah right so i added as in, a dm um, as a dm as a dm as a player it's fine but as a dm it's just a pain in the ass and dnd beyonds are great because they just pop up when you mouse over them which makes it a lot easier mm-hmm. but to make it even easier than that for example i wanted this character to be able to use smite so i just took what i thought was a good amount of extra damage for their smite attack and added it as a as a uh as a legendary action they can choose to smite once every few rounds um and that allows them to do more damage and have a little bit more um oomph as it were make them feel like a paladin i'm smiling because so i do the same thing i'm i was gonna touch on it later but that's totally okay um because no don't don't no 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 it's fine it's fine. I love it. Um, so I have this little table that I found on the internet. Um, it's just it just says damage severity by level, and right. it's just a very small grid of like okay, if you're if you're damaging a character that's first to fourth level, then you can do one d one d ten damage, two d ten damage, or four d ten damage, depending on you know whether you want to give them a setback, you want it to be dangerous or you want it to be deadly. Okay, that's first right. to fourth, and then fifth to 10th, they bump it up, 11th to 16th level, 17th level to 20th level. So it's basically right. just a table of D10s and how many D10s I can roll as a D- DM to dole right. some damage. So it gives me, again, it's those guidelines. It's a guideline. Of, so I don't have to look up how much damage yeah. this spell is gonna do or this or that. If I can just think in my head, they're fighting this mage and he's yeah. going to I'm just going to describe a spell and then I'm just going to roll the damage th- that's appropriate and then I don't have to look anything up right. except for this tiny little table that's on my DM screen. Cool. And it gets more intuitive as you go as well, doesn't it? Right, exactly. So, I'm glad that you you brought that up. Now, the other thing I like to do is you mentioned like 
instead of one ogre, you have two ogres. But um, I also like to give them, if you're going to do multiple monsters, I either do monsters that have different CRs, you know, like um, you, if they're dealing with one big ogre, but then you also have, there's goblins that come in, you know, and so different CR levels and, you know, they're just annoyances, but it's still... Um, adds a level of complexity because now there's more right. happening on the on the battle map. Um, right. What I this this is what I say. I like to call them two hitters because right. if I do this, if it's if they're fighting a big enemy, and I throw in just a bunch of little enemies just to kind of like add some complexity, I literally will sometimes just go have a little piece of paper and go, okay, that enemy got hit once. Okay, he got hit twice. Boom, that one's down. Okay, this one got hit twice. That one's down. And if they get hit twice, boom, I'm not even tracking HP, nothing. Right. It's just it's just enough to get them worried and thinking strategically yeah. about how to move on the battlefield. Right. Um, so yeah, that's what, <laughs> two hitters is what I call them. Um, yeah, that's a great idea. I've heard um, What's-His-Face uh, Matt Colville talk about this sort of thing too, you know. he's He's got a lot of ideas about homebrewing monsters. He reckons that monsters are either, the D&D Monster Manual monsters are either bags of hit points or they have very high armor classes. It tends to be mm-hmm. one or the other. Um, yeah. And if you want to make things fucking deadly, then you give them both, mm-hmm. you know. Um, the other thing I think is interesting is like some of the creatures in the monster manual more or less have descriptions about how to run them and knowing how to run creatures is kind of important. Like looking at the stat block on the fly is fine. And I do that a lot. And in fact, almost always, but at the same time, if you've gone through the stat block prior to the fight, prior to the session, and you've had a chance to actually think about how am I going to use this monster and how am I going to use it in conjunction with the other creatures in the encounter? Because they can really tie things up that way. I mean, you can mm-hmm. put on more or less pressure depending on how tactically you want them to think. A group of goblins that are not being tactical are pathetic. But a group of goblins that have got their shit together and a plan can fuck you up. Yeah. Like, you know, they they, they really can. I mean, you can use things like grappling and grabbing and, and, and talking about that restraining stuff before, you know, shoving people and all those actions that nobody ever thinks to use, like the dodge action, um, stuff like that. They can hold actions just the same way as players can. Yeah. You know, and doing those things and thinking about it and having a kind of a battle plan for them um, is really important. Sometimes having a schedule in your head about when on round three, the goblin boss is going to come through this door with two more of his companions. And in round eight, um, he's going to drink a potion of healing. Mm -hmm. You know, or maybe not round eight because fights never last that long. But, you know, (laughs) giving them potions and stuff like that is, is useful. That's actually something I didn't have in my notes, which I'm glad you brought up, is thinking about the encounter in rounds as well. Because you can, let's say um, uh, we have our party of four, we start off with the ogre thinking, one ogre's good. Like, I don't want this to be too difficult of a fight. But then you realize real quickly in the first round that, oh, they're going to decimate this ogre. So then you quickly on the fly go, okay, round two, now we're going to add the goblins, right? You can start kind of thinking this encounter in rounds and adding things or taking them away as you need to, to keep beefing this up. Right. Um, And you can have them flee as well, right? They can can run away. Yeah. 
so in real life hardly anybody wants to fight to the death let's face it yeah that's true <laughs> um Another thing real quick to mess around with is size. Um, I find it really funny that, you know, when, especially with new players, whenever they come across a really big, epic monster, they're always surprised that the AC is a lot lower than they think. But it makes sense right. because they're bigger and they're slower. And of course, they're, you can hit them. Um, right. But if you make a monster smaller, their AC goes up because they're harder to hit. And so sometimes I really like to throw tiny or small creatures my right. uh, my players because it's it's frustrating to them there it's just this little annoyance again that's hard to hit um right. so they can't really do the damage that they want to do but you're able right. to kind of like poke at them and and really uh get their their motors going um but okay so here's magic magic items you mentioned before too you know like things of invisibility yes uh, invisible monsters are a real pain in the ass yeah because they it usually the players will like hold their turn until they can see them again or yeah. you know yeah. something to that effect yeah making your giving your uh monsters the ability to go invisible or any yeah. of those extra abilities really helpful so yeah. here's uh one of the tricks that I do especially if we're talking about scaling is yeah. I like to I don't like to go into an encounter with uh, a monster that I think is already going to be deadly. I would rather start light and do some of these things that I that we've already talked about mid battle. Okay, like you know, add extra enemies. Or now here's the thing, because I don't want to be unfair to my players. So anything that's that goes off in round one, it still needs to be like you can't just all of a sudden say, well now my monster has spells. Like you didn't, you know, if right. you you didn't set that up. Yeah, I mean, I guess you kind of could, like, maybe in the first round they didn't cast a spell, and now in right. the second round they're going to... But just be very mindful of what you're adding, that it doesn't look like you are just out to beat your party, you know? Right. If that makes any sense. Um, so well, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I so, find that scrolls are quite good for this, actually. You, I had a, um, a cleric of, what was it, uh, Hawk Hand of Luthic pulls out a dispel magic uh freaking scroll in the middle of a fight to get rid of somebody's moonbeam mm -hmm. didn't work but it was something <laughs> and it, it added flavor to the to the to the fight and it added tension which was pretty cool oh i love this upright this, man says uh, carry a bag of flour for invisible creatures right yeah i actually yeah. have a character baker in mind that i might have to just always carry a bag of flour now even yeah that's right. gonna be great um okay so Okay, so that's my trick for scaling up monsters is I start, yeah. I don't want to say I start low. I start in the medium to high area, usually in the medium area. And then I will consider what can I do to scale this encounter up if I need to, okay? Without right. breaking immersion, without making it look like I'm cheating with my monster and giving them extra stuff on the fly, you know? Right. So consider that. Now, I also will consider, um, I feel like I, I wrote these notes up and now I'm kind of going out of order. So I hope this is not going to mess you up too much. But I also will consider the terrain that they're in because not only mm -hmm. can you scale up the monster, but you can scale up the terrain. You can, 
it may be like right now my players are in a very rocky mountainous area so if the fighting gets pretty heated there could maybe be a rock slide that happens during one of the rounds there could right. be um, an earthquake there could be yeah. yeah so consider your terrain and think okay if they're having too sure. much of an easy time Let's throw a rock slide their way and see how they deal with that and the monster. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and, and where you place the fight, the, the terrain itself is so important. You know, a, a bridge is a very different thing to a field, mm -hmm. you know, uh, somewhere where there's a door or a portal or an entrance or a tunnel makes a huge amount of difference. There's nowhere to run. You know, that changes everything. And, and you set the players so that they can only be two abreast. And, and the, similarly for the monsters, they can only be two abreast. It changes a lot. They can't surround you so easily. It's much harder to get advantage and, and flank and stuff like that. Right, right. Yeah, and, uh, you know, aside from terrain, you could add aggressive weather. Now, I wouldn't, like... What does that mean? I mean, I wouldn't describe, like, you're fighting and it's a sunny day and now all of a sudden there's a downpour, like unless you can make that make sense in your world. Uh, but if you have already started, like plan to start your encounter where there's some weather that you can then build upon if you need to. <laughs> right. Make sense? Um, yeah. So start the encounter where there's clouds in the sky and you can hear like a distant thunder. Mm. It may or may not result in anything during the encounter, but if you need yeah. it, it's there. Um, right exactly you can you can tweak that as you go yeah. you set it up if you set it up you can't just really you can't really have like a don't mention the weather and all of a sudden there's a storm mm -hmm. um, but if you set up that there's possibly a storm brewing then it's it's an option now yeah exactly that's the thing that's what i think i'm i didn't think i had a word for it before but as a dm you're gonna set this stuff up so that if you need it you got it but if you don't mm. need it, they won't know the difference. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, um, right. It just turns out to be flavor then, doesn't it? Right, right. Um, layer actions. Now, layer mm -hmm. actions tend to be like if you are, you know, you're going to go fight a dragon or a big epic monster, you usually go into their layer. But that right. doesn't mean that you can't have layer actions. You know, you're in the forest mm -hmm. and uh, you're looking for that that ogre, right? Um, but you could kind of throw in some layery type actions in the forest. Um, a tree cracks and falls in the, again, this is kind of using the terrain and weather, but I just kind right. of also counted, I, I'll look up layer actions and see like, what are some things? What, what do they have? Yeah. Yeah. What do they have in this terrain? Or you can use right. like wild magic surges, you know, make sure right. you set it up before the fight. I, I have an interesting take on layer actions, actually. I'm just going to throw this in. Um, yeah. You can give layer actions to, for example, I recently gave layer actions to some guards. You wouldn't think guards would have layer actions, but the thing is, if you encounter a bunch of guards on the street, they are going to fight one way and have so many options. But if you were fighting them in the actual palace where they t hang out and where their guards, their friends and so on are, mm -hmm. um, they have access to more armor and ammunition and weapons and they can do stuff like blow horns and, and call more enemies and they know the terrain, they know this is their lair, you know? Mm -hmm. So individuals that might fight differently out in the in standard terrain are going to fight differently in their own home territory. 
um, somebody that's fighting in their own house, even if they're like a first level halfling rogue, knows where the short sword is hidden behind the fireplace, you know, stuff like that. Or they can yeah. they can do things that that are that relate to their abodes if you right. like yeah oh i love that with the layer action i didn't think about that like yeah being john wick hiding like weapons in the <laughs> right. hiding weapons in this house traps yeah right pull the lever and the place fills with fire or something or the floor right. collapses or whatever you set it up yeah i mean you, you wouldn't necessarily have to add that into a monster's stat block but if you're home brewing something specifically then you might as well so that it's right in front of you while you're dming it mm -hmm. yeah um, and that kind of ties into the next idea I had, which is throwing puzzles into the combat. Now, there's a lot of ways you can interpret that. Um, my original idea was going to be like I, I threw my players into an encounter where they were fighting a monster that they knew was going to be too strong for them to destroy. And right. that the only way out of this encounter was to solve this puzzle, which would then kind of like it would they would teleport out of this area and no longer right. be in the area and so that was an interesting encounter because they're they're fighting or they're defending at least and trying right. to kind of like fight but really the whole point is the puzzle but it's still combat so that was interesting but i like mm. um your idea of like the lever you know you could be in a in a combat situation and have uh like a home alone style traps or something involved that Right. Maybe they see it and they right. could identify exactly. and use it in the combat. See, there's a kid with lair actions. Yes. <laughs> he doesn't have a lot of actions, but he's got a lot of lair actions. I love it. <laughs> oh, going back to the invisible creatures, I see everybody's got some ideas for invisible creatures. Sand. Right. Uh, yep, animal companion that can sniff them out. I'm really fond of making uh, homebrew creatures that have sort of work together. I, I mean, I was talking about last week, I think I was talking about the, the red fangs of Shargas. I made these elite red fangs of Shargas. And they're, they're really just buffed up standard red fangs. But I also buffed up the bats, the giant bats that they fly on. And I created a situation in both the stat blocks that relate to each other. So when they're working together, they can do extra stuff. So what you know when when you've got a, a elite red fang riding an elite, the bat can use its bonus action on the red fang's turn to mm -hmm. give them the dodge action. So the bat can dodge for the red fang as long as that as long as the red fang's on the bat. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, and then a legendary action where they can jump off the bat and and do awesome amounts of damage with that first attack. But that then puts them on the ground, so they no longer have the bat. But yeah, yeah. So that's my take on that. Yeah, I, I love. I mean, there's so hopefully, guys. I'm telling you, there's all these different things you can tweak and add, kind of on the fly. But also think about setting it up pre-encounter so that yeah. they're there for you if you need them. But now we've already talked about like add this, add this. You know, give your monster this. Right. What about taking taking away? Um, yeah. We we talked about um, difficult terrain, and you mentioned a bridge. Imagine right. if the bridge started collapsing right. in the middle of the encounter, right? So right. now they're fighting, but they're also trying to like, hi, like how do I not fall down this ravine? <laughs> you know, you can yeah, take yeah. things away. Um, yeah. And then I thought, you know, if you have a party, 
for example, the part the the game that I run, we have a lot of magic users who kind of have um what do they call them? Like Deus Ex Machina moves sometimes in these in these combats, right. these and it's all because of magic. And so if you find yourself with a party that has a lot of magic users, maybe come up with a reason why there would be some anti-magic fields um right. on the battlefield. Right. Or maybe the entire if, battlefield is anti-magic and they need to be a little bit more creative. I mean that that could be difficult, but if you want your casting NPCs to be able to really sustain themselves for more than a couple of rounds and you've got magic users on the field, you must give them dispel magic. Yeah. It's really without it, they're significantly Toast. weakened. Yeah. They're very, yeah. they're very squishy. <laughs> yeah. So that's why be careful about it. And again, yeah. you know, consider if you're gonna add any of the, these things, take any of these things away, just consider what's right. the worst case scenario you know, for them and what's the best case scenario and just plan for both, put, put something in there, set it up so that you can plan for both. And then just, if you need it, kick it off or don't. Yeah. And the, the other thing too, like one of my mistakes that I always make when I'm running spell casters is I often forget to cast mage armor on the first turn. Right. So you either have to go, oh, they did it before the fight started, but then you've got to justify that they knew the fight was going to start. Yeah. You know, yeah. or you have to take an action to do it on the first round, or if it's partway through the fight, they've got to stop and cast mage armor, which is extremely annoying for you yeah, as a DM or for the <laughs> character. You know, they surely would have thought of this, but you didn't do it, so you have to go along with it. So yeah, and that's that's one of my common mistakes is forgetting that. Now that I've I think we're on. Are we on? I think we're Are on. Are we back? Are we alive? Hey, chat. We... Come find us again, hey, please. <laughs> come and find us again. I don't know what the hell happened there. Yeah. Just more tech issues. The tech gods, they are <sighs> testing us. This is challenge rating 20 stuff. Is it? It is. It is. Okay. All Something right. Something went... That was me. I was just getting all the other things right. back up and running. Make sure I've got you muted over we, there. Yes. We good. have one viewer. Hopefully our viewers are coming back. <laughs> come, come back and join us. Come back. Okay. Oh, no. Well let's let's keep it going because everyone will just find us on YouTube or yeah, on YouTube and they can catch back up if they need to. But uh shoot, where we were talking about anti magic fields, squishy magic right. people. Okay. Right, right. Uh spelling magic. Yes. Yep. Okay, so I wanted to touch on real quick. Where were we? We're we're down to homebrewing monsters. Right. Okay. Like, so we're talking about coming up from from the beginning, from nothing. Yes. So everything we've talked about so far was like scaling, taking an existing monster and then just adding some tweaks or taking something away to change up the difficulty. Right. And also how to know when, like if you've got your party, uh, you went through the first round, they're just breezing through it. That's when, you know, okay. Add right. in a little bit of that difficulty. If you get through that first round and somebody's already down, then you know that maybe you need to find a reason to scale something down a bit <laughs> to help your party. Um, right. So that's scaling. Okay, now homebrewing a monster completely from scratch. Let's talk about that. Um, how do you start 
homebrewing your monsters? Where do you start? Homebrewing a monster from completely from scratch. Well, I mean, you have to have some sort of inspiration for it, don't you? Um, and it depends what the campaign is and what the the general gist of the of the storyline is and the terrain and all of that sort of stuff. Where are these people? I mean, are we talking about, you know, you're going to ask the question whether or not this is the big bad evil guy or is this going to be just a, just a mob that's, you know, fairly low-level kind of trash mob to use um, World of Warcraft terms. Not that I actually play World of Warcraft mm -hmm. these days, but, yeah, um, I don't honestly homebrew a lot of monsters from scratch in Dungeons & Dragons. I do scale them. I do put tweaks on them. I the most of See, that's the thing. And a lot of my campaigns are very humanoid-based anyway. Like I talk about a lot of orcs, for example, yeah. or certain types of guards or orders of wizards, for example. I homebrew wizards, a lot of different types of wizards, all the different types of wizards of the Barakile Envoy, for example. I've got like necromancers and war mages and archons and illusionists and spies. And I and I recently homebrewed the Quasit, re, sort of readjusted the Quasit because the I love the Quasit. Such a cool creature. It's and so fun. Books. Right, but once they've been spotted, they don't pose much of a threat, which is good. They shouldn't. But yeah. I did tweak them up a little bit just to make them just make them last more than one attack, you know. Because at, at this point, players just swipe one hit and they're gone. That's you know they've got like seven hit points or something. Yeah. So I, I make them a little bit tougher. These are the the Barakile envoys quasits. So they're special quasits. They've they've learned how to you know summon slightly more powerful ones. Um, I've I rehome brewed the Tanarok, um, which is a demon that has been created from an orc, and I've I've made this one called the Ungor Tanarok because it's from the Ungor Ma'ak Empire, and so they're a little bit more powerful. So finding the inspiration generally comes from you know what do you need, and and from your experience of the game. Um, in my case, it's a case of I've telegraphed the idea that this creature is going to turn up at some point in the campaign, and then by the time it turns up, the players are actually too high level for it to be that challenging. Right. So that's when I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to scale this thing up and make it tougher um, or what have you. Mm -hmm. But again, I think that really understanding the stat block, that's actually quite hard. When you look at the original creatures, make sure that you do understand the stat block properly because you might not have to tweak them up sometimes it's a case of you can be more tactful with them or, or tactical with mm -hmm. the creature um tanarooks are a good example because they have certain abilities that make them fucking powerful if you know all by them <laughs> somebody just entered chat yes um yeah they, they, they're super powerful all by themselves. And so scaling them up, you have to be really careful because you might be halfway through the combat and go, oh, wait a minute, this thing has this reaction that does this thing that's going to fuck everybody up, you know, and it's already there. Um, why wouldn't I use that? So you don't necessarily always have to scale things up when you uh, make sure that you understand the stat block from the beginning. Right. Um, I guess other forms of inspiration, I use a lot of, AI art. I make a lot of AI art just for fun, mostly. I create a lot of NPC uh, figures and, and, and sometimes monsters and things. Um, and some of those have been quite inspiring. And I certainly have got some ideas for homebrewing creatures along those lines. 
I like to go through the monster manuals and such and look for different powers that already exist. I, I created a, a guard recently that they, they have, you know, normal sort of things, a crossbow and a longsword type of deal. They're just city guards kind of stuff. But I realized a few months ago that the archer stat block in the monster manual is fucking powerful. It's like a challenge rating three for an archer is hell powerful. And they've got this thing called archer's eye. They can use three times a day where immediately after making an attack roll or damage roll with a ranged weapon, the archer can add a D10 and add the number rolled to the total. So it's either to the attack roll or the damage. It is hell powerful. They can do it three times. So, and, and they have a lot of hit points too. So I thought, well, I'm going to take that and add that to my guard because, but he has a crossbow and a longsword and they can do that with either the crossbow or the longsword, not just the longbow, mm-hmm. which makes it a bit more interesting. Things like um, this particular guard gains advantage to attack rolls when they're within five feet of another guard of their own type, if, as long as they have shields, you know, and they don't always have to have shields. So that's some of the sort of that's the sort of stuff I'm doing with homebrew creatures mostly at the moment. Um, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> that's cool. I mean, I you know AI art I'm still new to, but I've right. seen some of the AI art that you've done, and it's like yeah, that's pretty um, inspiring. Just to randomly throw in some words to like an art yeah, bot yeah. and see what it comes up with and go, Oh gosh, that looks terrifying. That's a monster. Here we go. <laughs> right. Absolutely. You know, just come up with some words and themes and ideas and, and sort of some words that are adjacent to those words and themes and, mm-hmm. and some words about lenses and camera style and shit as well. And you get a more interesting picture. Yeah. But yeah. And then we talked about this, I think it was during the skills challenges episode, right. but you know, I get, I get inspired by a lot in the real world. Um, I'll see something yeah. and I just go, man, that is so cool. And then I immediately think about how I can put that into my game. Like right. I watched that documentary with like elephants and then little birds flying around the elephants. And that's how I came up with this right. idea for the encounter of this gargantuan creature and little right. tiny creatures that they have to fight or find or what have you. And right. not get trampled by this gargantuan creature. So you can get inspired by just about anything. Find what inspires you. Well, and you, then... can, you can take mushrooms. Yeah, <laughs> no, you no, can do that. <laughs> Nobody um, should do that. Don't take illicit drugs. <laughs> but then, so if you're starting from scratch, right? If I'm starting from scratch, that's what I, I start with the concept of the monster. Yeah. It's going to be a gargantuan something, right? And I want it to be able to stomp and I want it to be able, okay, so now what I would do is I go search through the monster manual and try to find a close stat block. So again, I can get, make sure I'm covering all my bases when it comes to how much HP should a creature like this have? What should the AC be? What kind of abilities should I consider for a creature this Mm. big? You know, all those things kind of, it's almost again, kind of like taking those existing stat blocks and scaling them kind of sort of you know the other thing is that you've been playing in your campaign as a dm for a while now right so you've seen how your players do stuff you know what kind of acs they can hit and you know what kind of damage they can deal out you know what spells they have and what kind of tactics they use Mm -hmm. and often it's the tactics that they use might actually inspire you to mess with their action economy or mess with their tactics somehow find a way to 
get in there and, and <laughs> force them to play differently. Sorry, I was just thinking, we were talking about, you know, it, get, make your monsters have the ability to go invisible. And I was thinking, right. my God, a gargantuan invisible creature would be fantastic. Oh, yeah. All you just oh, see yeah. is a big giant footprint that shows up right next to you. Right, yeah. <laughs> That's For amazing. sure. I have one of those, actually. <laughs> that is, oh God, so fun. Okay, so, so how to homebrew get your monster concept whether it's art your idea something that you saw on a documentary find a stat block so you can start thinking about all the yeah. stats um and then tweak as need be you know like also just want to take one step back myths legends stories movies comic books yeah but you know and i find especially going back to those archetypal things that we get from myths and legends and, and old stories um, and even religion, that's a fantastic place to start because there's so much pathos behind those types of entities yeah. that you can bring in. You can look up things like, um, and I don't necessarily recommend this to everyone, but you know, things like um, the Keys of Solomon, um, the Goetia, which is basically a list of demons. Um, go into things like the, the lists of angels and things and find out what they're the angels of this, that, and the other thing. Um, there's all sorts of real life um, entities that you can find um, and develop into something. You can change the names, but you can, you know, you might want to keep a core concept or merge it with something else. Um, be careful. The stuff all goes in here and slips into your subconscious and can come out and bite you on the ass. <laughs> Um, yeah. Anyway. So, uh, I'm trying to think if we thought of everything as far as homebrewing. Oh, I did mm. want to cover real quick as a DM, because if you're not following a written adventure and, mm. and, or you start throwing homebrew monsters or scaled monsters, make sure you consider oscillating between easy encounters and hard encounters you don't yeah. want to just pummel your party all the time yes it is a lot of fun as a player to know that you're fighting this epic monster and then the next encounter is another epic monster and then the next encounter is another epic monster and it starts to get a little like meh you know so yeah. sometimes it's a lot of fun to be a player knowing that you're fighting a hundred goblins and it takes one or two hits to kill the goblins, but it's so much fun to just feel powerful and be like, ha, right. I killed five of them. How many did you kill? You know, like, <laughs> right. So make I, well, sure you I isolate. A, yeah. I, I had a player in the Vain Gate Chronicles. She's a cleric and she has a mace of disruption. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing is the mace of disruption is great, but it's not that useful most of the time. It's, it's good, but it's not amazing. But then we had this one encounter with a bunch of undead, very low level undead creatures, and she was just annihilating them. And she had so much fun doing that. Mm -hmm. So I guess if you've got a player who's got a particular type of damage that the other players don't have that they don't get to use very often, mm -hmm. that can be really fun for the players because they finally get to shine in a way where the other players are like, my hits aren't doing any damage. But yet the cleric's wandering around just smashing the shit out of multiple skeletons and undead all at the same yeah, time. Yeah, the undead was what I was going to bring up. Yeah, clerics always right. have that, you know, turn undead. And if you don't, right. if you have a whole campaign with no undead, they're going to feel unfulfilled. 
<laughs> so right, I mean, you can have fiends or something instead, but right. And I have a lot of fiends in my game, and I and that will be something that I'm going to be developing more of. All right, so here's where we're going to get into just a few tips and tricks again. I mean, we've pretty much talked about scaling and homebrewing, but here's just a few things, okay? So there are online calculators that you can use so that you can um, input everything but the CR. So if you're homebrewing a monster and you just want to know what CR to assign it, you can enter all the stats and then it will calculate the CR, okay? You can also do the reverse, which is like you can put in like the CR or you can put in a monster um, that exists already and then the tool will scale up or scale down. You can tell it like, I want this level four monster to really be level 16. How do we scale that up? And it will automatically do that for you. So there's tons of online tools that you can Google um, and search for. There is also... If you go on the D&D Beyond website, there's the the actual calculation, which I don't know. It's just not as fun. It's a lot of work, but, you know, you can. Right. It has the math. It's it's worth reading through that calculation. It is. Just so that that you've done it once, maybe. You don't have to use it every time. You know there is a calculation. Yeah. Right. Now, I'm going to get into a few things here real quick because I've talked about how to like how to know when to scale up but then right. how do how do you know when to scale down right if i had to right. scale down an encounter and i did talk about you know round 1 somebody's down oh no i yeah. made my monster a little too op right Uh-oh. yeah so here's yeah. the thing that i do this is only if so i'll i'll use the basic like i want to throw a medium monster at them for most encounters, you know, or I'll throw a medium encounter. But if I know because the story and the narrative that, oh, they're going to have an Mm. epic battle. I, this is what I do. I, my my husband's probably listening, but (laughs) this is what I do. I, I plan. I don't just choose to, to create a difficult monster or whatever. Right. Basically I plan my encounter Mm -hmm. so that it is difficult Mm -hmm. enough. And I wait until at least one person is down and then i start finding ways to scale down my encounter but i basically create a difficult encounter on the fly Uh uh-oh did i lose russell again Uh uh-oh okay we're gonna real quick guys one second here we are here we go here we are. I'm going to retransition here. Okay. Boy, we're just having difficulties tonight, guys. I'm really sorry. Okay. Yeah. So I start off with it. I make sure my encounter is very difficult. Round one at least should, I mean, I'm going to telegraph to them that they're going into a difficult encounter. I make sure right. round one shows you're yeah. in for it. And then yeah. I just keep pounding them with this difficult encounter the way that I've set it up until one person goes down. At least one right. person. Now, depending right. on the narrative, I might yep. wait until two people are down. I, yep. I'm, you know, I want this to be like a holy shit moment. Yeah, we're what are all we going to do? This right? is going to be a TPK. We're fucked. Ah. Yeah. Now, I won't do the like, oh, this, I guess it depends on my monster. Most of yep. my monsters aren't smart enough to go, oh, that person's down. I'm going to go over there and stab them for two death saves, right? Like, I'm not going to be right. brutal, but I am going to give them the sense that 
this is dangerous and also one or two people down on that on that side note i find that a lot of people argue about well they're already down why wouldn't you kill them there's a lot Mm -hmm. of reasons why you wouldn't go and finish them off Mm -hmm. you don't know they're not dead for a start they're they're lying down covered in blood they look look like they're dead they're unconscious why would you start doing extra damage to a dead creature when you're being attacked by four other people you've got better things to do the action economy doesn't make any sense to do that Right. That's that's the most obvious answer to that. But anyway, please yeah. continue. Sorry. No, yeah. So so basically, I start off with the difficult encounter. I pound them until one or two are down, and then I will find ways to scale the encounter back or find a reason, like um, like you said, maybe something happens. Uh, a guard comes in and tells, like maybe they're fighting a humanoid. They're fighting an evil queen. Uh, a guard comes in and telegraphs some kind of message, and now the queen needs to leave, and now leaves right. a monster behind to finish the battle you know and now right. this monster so priorities change right you know so that's just one example but you know whatever narrative you can find to scale back the encounter after you've got one or two people down that's right. enough to give them an encounter that's that feels yeah. very difficult story so reasons uh, right. work story much reasons. better than just pulling out shit out of your ass you know right right Unless so story that's my trick for scaling up and scaling down um, and then the other thing I saw online, which I have, n- I've heard of this before, but I've never really thought about it. I really should look into it is if you're going to homebrew a monster, make sure that that monster's max damage per one turn is not more than the HP of your highest player. Right. Cause then that right. b- now you can see how the math makes sense that like, Oh, in one turn I could easily kill the yeah. strongest player in the group. Then you know that you've you need to scale that back a bit yeah for sure for <laughs> so. sure yeah i mean that that is really interesting and it does bring into question the concept of fudging right dice rolls mm-hmm. and such you know i mean at the end of the day especially if you've home brewed something or even if you've just built the encounter and not thought too hard about it mm-hmm. um you can easily put characters in situations that you didn't mean to it was not your objective to kill them. Mm-hmm. And you've created a situation where they're in fucking grave danger. And if you play it rules as written, they will die. Um, so you do need a story reason or some sort of deus ex machina to get them out of it. Or sometimes you might just say they swing and they miss yeah. you know, or something like that. We didn't talk about saving throws, actually. That's another thing that's oh, really yeah. important we when you creatures. You're right. Because their saving throws versus spells and stuff, that makes a huge difference sometimes. Yeah, that's Um, true. Uh, Yeah, yeah, so yeah, take take a look at all those stats, saving throws we didn't think of, but you know, any Mm. any one of those stats you can tweak, and then just make sure that if you're throwing what you think is a dangerous encounter, that you've telegraphed it beforehand. You know, we've already talked about setting up your encounter so that you can take it one way or the other. Um, You've already touched on making sure that we're focusing on what's fun and that you're not being the DM that's just out to beat your players because that's right. That may be fun for you as the DM, but it's not as much fun for your players. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You're not really a dungeon master. You're more of a a, a dungeon apprentice. Right. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> you you have much learning to do. Uh, yes. And then I want to tie this back because you, you it's a good thing you talked about your, you know, PC deaths and and mitigating mm. or preventing PC deaths because um, I had a point and it literally just whoop 
what is it? Um, well, while you're thinking of that, I was going to yeah. say that the players can always run away. Yeah. You know, they don't have to fight all the time. It's not required. A lot of players seem to think that it's like, oh, it's, we're playing D&D. We have to fight the creature. And I've been at work all week selling cell phones or whatever they do or whatever this they could be scientists or astronauts but whatever mm. they come to the game to get away from their lives so they're more likely to take big risks um in the game because they want it to be exciting and they kind of have to trust you as the dm to make it exciting um yeah. or they're going to take it into their own hands and and do silly things which means often taking risks until you've beaten that out of them by killing off their characters over and over and over again <laughs> well you know see i feel like some players or player groups don't know that that's an option and i think as a dm yeah. it would be helpful if if it's their first time in an encounter where you know that they're in over their head or that you you can only scale it back so much and they're they're hurting now um mm. then what you can do as a dm is find a way to telegraph to them that they can run away what if there's right. an npc that's off in the sidelines that's like hey you know like come this way you know like and that's a quick right. prompt of oh we can actually right. leave this encounter, you know, find exactly. a way narratively to telegraph to your players that that's an option. And I'm willing to bet. Even you if it's an investigation it, check. Right. Willing to bet if you do it once, then they will always consider that in future encounters that are tough. Yeah. And if it should always be an option. Running away is always an option. It's, yeah. uh, you know, fighting is rarely anybody's first option or choice. Yeah. In in the world, you know, we we only fight when we're cornered or we really really want something, um, and that thing that we want is worth more to us than the dilemma of murdering somebody <laughs> to get it. <laughs> you know. Okay. Uh, you know that thing that I was thinking of. I think I already covered it, and that's why my brain just went zoop because it was all just about you know PC death. But yeah. Anyway. Right. All right. Um. So. I think that leads us into our weekly world building. Um, ta I, yeah, ta-da. And so I know we lost no. some viewers because of the technical difficulties. I'm really sorry. But if you guys are still out there, I'm going to ask for your help. Okay? I am going to explain to you some monsters that I am going to um, build, that I'm going to to homebrew. Sorry, my brain. See, my brain just whoo. Anyway, I'm going to homebrew some monsters and I'm going to ask for some help building this. And if you're in the chat and you want to provide some info, shout it out and I might put that in and then I'm going to run this by my players, I think soon. And when that happens, I will report on it in a future episode. So here we go. Okay. Right now, my players are in a mountainous rocky area and the way that I described it to them at least in this immediate area they're in if you've ever seen the movie or heard of the movie 127 hours I think it is this guy gets lost in like this kind of canyon that he's hiking all by himself and it's like windy tunnels and sometimes it's open air but sometimes you're kind of like beneath the rocks and anyway that's this immediate area and so I'm looking for some monsters I need one monster specifically like a I'm looking for a big sturdy some kind of a monster that would be in mountains and canyons that is also touched by the shadow realm and what I mean by that is I want them to get some kind of feeling 
that this this monster looks familiar to them but different what's different something about the shadow realm because that's what's going on in my world right now is the shadow realm seems to be kind of merging with or coming into the material plane it's so, just like the shadow fell is bleeding across something to that effect. They haven't quite figured out right. exactly what's happening. So, um, mm -hmm. I don't know. You tell me if you guys are in the chat, I know we've got a few people. Oh, <laughs> my husband said mountain goat. Okay. We can, I mean, <laughs> now what if it's like a huge mountain goat? I'm not, I don't I'm, know if I'm actually going to do dead. a mountain goat, but I love this. <laughs> An undead huge mountain goat. Oh my gosh. And, oh, I do actually kind of like that. Um, I don't know why would how big I mean because dire goats are pretty big, right? I want it to be right. bigger. I want bigger. I want a monster that's like like it's I, bred by giants or like something. Bear <laughs> like bear size monster. Right. So I guess a mountain goat could. Yeah. For sure. Okay. Yeah. Let's just stick with that. Let's just say mountain goat. Cause that's just this exercise. They don't know what I'm actually going to throw at them. All right, right. So we're going to do some huge, sorry, technically, I guess it would be a large, right? Mountain goat, mm. uh, that has somehow been touched by the shadow realm. So what would the, this monster do that would give them the idea? Like there's like shadow step there's, well, Go ahead. D do you want my feedback here? Yes, please. Well, you could have, it could have diseases. It Ooh. could ha pass diseases. It could be full of maggots. Um, <gasps> I love the maggots. Right? It could be sort of a corpse-like thing. I mean, I I'm going with the undead thing because I'm thinking of the shadow fell and the death domains and what have you. So it could have diseases um, or maybe not poison, but something like that. Yes. Um, that it could... It could be it could be covered in flies that do something of their own, like a swarm of flies. Oh my gosh, you're touching onto something I was going to ask about next. Which, remember, I said I like to throw one monster and then a yeah. bunch of little monsters right. in the case I need it. And so the bunch of right. little monsters could be like, oh, could you just imagine like swarms of things like flying out of its body? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, oh, I that's love what it. I'm thinking. Right. And it could have a pretty nasty bite too that imparts a you know a saving throw against like a con save or something. And if you fail the con save, you end up with some sort of disadvantage or disease that does something to you. It gives you a level of exhaustion, or I don't know. Then now you're home brewing diseases, but that's a, another thing. Right. But or, or you could choose something that already exists. But see, is now good. this is great because already see this is what I love to do when I homebrew encounters is I've got one large creature. And I have yep. my second set of monsters are small, right? So right. they're going to be harder to hit and they fly. So that changes their range of motion and right. like, um, uh, you know, what's dimensional, high, low, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> dimensional yep. space, space. Yep. Um, okay. So let's see here. Avery says creatures that give you a second shadow before consuming you. Ooh. Ooh. <gasps> Count the shadows. Ooh. Oh, I have and another thought tell, yeah. your wife said leper mountain goat. <gasps> oh my gosh, could oh, you imagine? Oh, yes. oh, okay. Now I'm getting really excited. Two different things. Okay, so first I'll get back right. to the shadows in a minute, Avery. But this leper right. mountain can you imagine they come across mountain goats that look normal? 
But if they like start touching them, messing with them, like pieces of skin start sloughing off. Oh my god, my players hate me because I do a lot of body horror in my game, and I right. don't mean to. Nice. I just find it so fascinating. Oh my god, pieces of skin start sloughing off, and then they're attacked by swarms, and now the goats turn around, and it's like uh, the the music video thriller, and now they're Look like a dead mountain. What an idea for you? You want to put a puzzle into the situation? Uh huh. What if it had a collar, and if you could get the collar off it, it would diffuse it. It would, it would, because the like, collar is causing the undead creatures, you know, making it into this thing. If you take the collar off it, its powers sort of dissipate. Huh. Um, but you have to figure that out. It could even have a bell that does something like toll the dead. Oh, what if like a goat with a bell that the did toll the dead? Bell is interesting. I like it. Toll the Bell's dead. Bell's a very shadowy, you know, shadow fell, shadow realm, death kind of symbol. I love it. I love it. Okay, I've got to get back to Avery real quick with the shadows. Sorry. I love the idea of the second shadow. I think mm. that has to be maybe a different encounter. I, that's so that is so conniving i love it that i want it to be like a humanoid em enemy enemy that they fight enemy. <laughs> um, An enemy. but i oh i'm gonna type this down somewhere because i'm i'm gonna think about how i can implement this second shadow i love that idea um i love the leper mountain goat so much i don't know how i'm gonna do it but i love it <laughs> on Let's see what else. Oh my God, you guys keep them coming. Uh, okay, so right now we have large mountain goat, maggots, undead, diseases. I love the idea of diseases. I, I have actually been thinking about homebrewing Oops. some diseases. Oops. You're in, in and out, in and out. Uh oh. We have to think about reactions and, and bonus actions and, and lair actions as well. Yeah. Ooh. You know, what, what's this thing's lair about, you know? No, the lair actions are going to be the shadow realm because if you remember what I described in my previous games, uh, there's this huge dragon, which is the BBEG's dragon, and its breath weapon is that it opens portals into and out of the shadow realm. And so literally right now what they're seeing in the material plane is these black holes that just kind of keep opening up everywhere at various, you know, on the ground, in the sky, and things from the shadow realm are eking out into the material plane. So what if part of the layer actions is that these black circles are starting to like show up in the middle of the battlefield? Well, no, because then that means the dragon's here. I don't know. I have to think about this. Yeah. Hmm. I have to think about this. I mean, goats have pretty scary screams, actually. I mean, there's this whole trope about goats have this kind of human scream. Uh-huh. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, Maybe I that love could it. Be, right? That could be like a, a special action Ooh. that it has on a recharge. And Do you it know deafens what I mean? like, them, maybe. They scream maybe and it deafens, it deafens them, them. Or it causes fear or both. Okay, so Avery told me to Google Vashta Narada Oh, I yes. Up, right? I remember this episode from Doctor Who. I, I was wondering why it sounded familiar. Oh, I love it. Yes. Okay, so if you haven't watched Doctor Who, for anybody who's watching yeah. the show, boy, I don't even know how to explain Vashta Narada. Google it. Because <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to get into it. that. Yeah, it, It's a bit too complex to try and outline It is, here, and I don't want to ruin it because you just got to watch the episode. It's a good episode. All it's right. A good point. 
Um, so, okay. I think I like where this is at right now. I do want to maybe give the swarms of flies some shadow aspect to it, shadow realm right. aspect. Right. I mean, the flies so could could flies. merge into a being of their own or something and then dissipate and it'd be very fucking hard to hit. Say that again. They merge if into the flies. The flies could merge into into a shadow or into a being or something like a like a more complicated single entity. Yeah, yeah. And then come apart, kind of like a hive or something like that. I don't know. That's just a thought, but mm. I don't know. I like the idea of lots of buzzing flies being extremely annoying and yeah. Um, and it also allows you to telegraph the creature a bit too. Yeah. Yeah, I like the idea. I'm trying to think how we can like scale this up with the, you know, terrain or the hazards. I'm wondering if this this these swarms can make it difficult to see. Maybe they Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, like or, yeah, for blindness, sure. kind of like a shadow aura think kind about of thing. Conditions. Yeah, conditions. Um they I mean, obviously with the diseases and stuff, we can do that. Now, are you familiar with rot grubs? No. Challenge challenge rating one half, armor class eight, 22 hit points. Um, rock grubs are finger-sized maggots. Now, you could, you could scale them down and make much smaller rock grubs and put them in a swarm because you can get them as a swarm of rock grubs. Uh -huh. Or you could just use them the way they are and just flavor them. And these things could be disgorged from the creature's mouth or something on a bite attack. Say that or, again, or that last you, part. It, if you damage the creature or you hurt the creature or if it bites you or something or you touch it, it might give you these rot grubs. Right. Ooh. Alternatively, you could make the rot grubs fly and then call them a swarm of flies. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, the man, I cannot wait. You guys, I am going to throw this at them. And, and this is what I love is even if they're listening, because I know my husband's listening, he has no idea how this is going to be put together, when it's going to happen. And when it does, I know he's going to laugh, but this is going to be great. I can't wait. <laughs> okay, let's see. Avery said there's an anime villain who controlled mosquitoes that fed on people and animals then powered up by absorbing their collected right. blood. <gasps> you could heal the goat with the flies. Ooh, I do love that. <laughs> That's good. Okay, right. guys. Oh, you folks. I love you guys. All right. This is going to be great. So, got all the world building that I need for this. I'm going right. to put How some stuff together. How fast Does is this have, goat? It's got to have a bite attack and a horn attack, right? Because it's oh, a goat. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, right. like it, it can have and a possibly um, hooves as well. What's uh not not is it rushing? What's the word I'm thinking of? Where you a charging, charging, like a charge. Yeah. Yeah. charge attack, uh, jumping. Obviously. Oh, I love jumping. the idea of terrain doing like you know the rocky yes. side terrain. Yeah. Has has a climbing speed maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So oh. and it might have a very fast climbing speed that it so it can get away and jump on on rocks and stuff in a way the players can't keep up with it. It can f get around them and flank them and stuff. I love this. Okay. Um, Man, I had I, I gotta take one note real quick before I forget it. Uh, okay, until they okay. Anyway, all right. I don't want to say it out loud because I think they're listening so i'm just gonna keep that there and anybody who's listening 
keep an ear out. I don't. When are we playing next? I think we're playing mid-July, actually, for this. So you guys have a little bit of time to wait. But that gives me some time to really uh, nail this encounter down and maybe change it up just a little bit so my husband doesn't know what's coming. And then in about a month, I will tell you all what happened. But I thank you guys for your input because this was fun. This was a lot of fun. All right. Have you, yeah, the Catoblepus is another monster that has some powers you might want to look into. Yeah? Yeah, I'm trying to find the stat block for the Catoblepus right now, but it's fucking scary. It's got such scary. a funny name, doesn't it? It does. Do you know the one I'm talking about? I do know the one you're talking about. I actually just wrote wrote something up on it the other day. Oh, really? But right. I can't remember anything about it, really, other right. than that it's a goat monster. Um, Overlord, Overlord called Dark Young. My Okay. Ooh. Thank you, Avery. Okay, all right. So let's not uh, let's not beat this dead goat, uh, and we'll move on. Um, okay. <laughs> so anyway, folks, uh, sorry this was a little bit of a longer episode. Plus, we had some technical difficulties. I appreciate you guys sticking with us. Uh, please remember to like, share, and subscribe. Share us with your friends. Share the the wonderful gift of dead goats with flying swarms coming out of them because they'll love it, right? Um, <laughs> come check out uh, all the other stuff that Dungeon Studios has and does. Um, come check us out on Facebook, on YouTube. We got some TikToks going out. When the podcast gets posted, it goes to Amazon, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, all the other things. And then, of course, we are always on Discord. So come find us on Discord. We love to chat with our community, um, get ideas. And that's just where we're at all the time. So come say hi to us. Yeah. Uh, all right. And if you're interested in playing Dungeons & Dragons um, and such, you can come and find me on my Discord channel and YouTube and Twitch. And if you're interested in streaming on Twitch with me, um, I have a number of different streams available. Um, yes, so come and talk to me about that and yeah. such. Like, blah, 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 yada, yada. And all Links the things, stuff and around. things. <laughs> yeah. All right. Use so, your imagination. Uh, I'm going to sign us out unless you got anything right. you want to do and say these days can be fun days when you talk nerdy with friends. Nice and smooth. All right, everybody. Yeah. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Goodbye.